0: The greatest people are self managing. They don't need to be managed. You if they know what if, if once they know what to do, they'll go figure out how to do it, and they don't need to be managed at all. What they need is a common vision, and that's what leadership is. What leadership is is having a vision, being able to articulate that so the people around you can understand it, and getting a consensus on a common vision. We wanted people that were insanely great at what they did. But we're we're not necessarily those seasoned professionals but who had on at the tips of their fingers and in their passion the latest understanding of where technology was and what we could do with that technology and who wanted to bring that to, to lots of people so the neatest thing that happens is when you get a core group of uh, you know ten great people they, it becomes self-policing as to who they let into that group so i consider the most important job of someone uh, like myself is recruiting we agonized over hiring we had interviews I- could go back and look at some of the interviews, they would start at 9 or 10 in the morning and go through dinner. Uh, a new interviewee would talk to everybody in the building at least once, maybe a couple times, and then come back for another round of interviews. And then we'd all get together and talk about it and then before we fill out yeah. an
1: application.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, they, they never the out. most critical Nobody part of the interview, at least to my mind, was when we finally decided we liked them enough to show them the Macintosh prototype. And then we sat them down in front of it. And if they just kind of were bored or said, "This is a nice computer," we didn't want it. We, we wanted their eyes to light up and them to get really excited. And then we knew they were one of us. And everybody just wanted to work, not because it was work that had to be done, but it was because something that we really believed in that was just going to really make a difference. And that's what kept the whole thing going. We all wanted exactly the same thing. And instead of spending our time arguing about what the computer should be, we all knew what the computer should be, and we just went and did it. We went through that stage in Apple where we went out and we thought, oh, we're going to be a big company, let's hire professional management. We went out and hired a bunch of professional management it didn't work at all. Most of them were bozos. They, they knew how to manage, but they didn't know how to do anything. And so, wh- if you're a great person, why do you want to work for somebody that you can't learn anything from? Uh, and you know what's interesting? You know who the best managers are? They're the great individual contributors who never ever want to be a manager, but decide they have to be a manager because all, every, no one else is going to be able to do as good a job as them.
2: Welcome to the 33rd episode of the Noted Bitcoin Podcast. We have three guests today. They are Blockstream, C-Lightning team, Lisa, Christian, and Rusty. I added two recordings from the Chaincode Labs Lightning Residency. The first one is Christian explaining the history of payment channels, and the second one is Christian describing the C-Lightning implementation. Uh, those recordings are after the interview. If you are a Patreon supporter, you can watch the recordings live and ask questions go to patreon.com slash noted, N-O-D-E-D. Enjoy the show. I guess you're all in town because of the uh, Lightning uh, Summit that just occurred. And I actually just saw an email come through saying that uh, Bolt 1.1 was... Well, I'll let you fill us us in uh, on that. Um, So, yeah, what was the Lightning Summit and who, who attended? What was discussed?
3: Um... So yeah, this is the second Lightning Summit. We had a kickoff two years ago uh, for the like the Lightning spec um, uh, kind of effort uh, between the implementers, and that was in Milan. Uh, this one was in Adelaide, Australia, so uh, which is my hometown. Uh, so it was kind of fun having you know uh, 18 Lightning geeks all in one place. Uh, two very intense days of discussion about you know what, what's what's going to be in the next rev of the spec. What what we're going to push off like a 2.0 or 1.2 version um, and then diving down to the details uh you know flooding ourselves really with the details of some of these things um we had like 60 points to discuss on like the uh, the shared doc that we created um and 30 of those ended up getting the thumbs up in some form or another a few more kind of deferred pending maybe um, so we, we were pretty happy i think with the with the outcome it was incredibly productive few days so um you know it's kind of fun to make all these decisions but of course now the hard work begins uh, we've got to implement them we've got to check that the combination of all the decisions we made is sane right um you know to make two decisions you think they're independent you turn out when you implement both of them you have come up with a clash so you know there's going to be a lot of noise over the next you know a uh, few months i'd say as people shake that out um and then you know it's the, the implementations themselves obviously will say it take you know six to twelve months by the time you know, we've gotten complete implementation of some of these.
2: Uh, what are some of the areas being uh, prioritized for improvements? What, what was, uh, what, what's a priority?
3: So the different teams come at this from different angles. So different people have their own favorite hobby horses to some extent. Um, you know, I think for us, um, you know, Christian's certainly big on, well, you know, well, why don't we go down the, round the room, right? And, and everyone can like pick their favorite, like favorite thing that, that 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 they like. So, Christian. Yeah. So uh, we we had a few things that, that needed to be addressed, uh,
4: which were really big pain points for uh, current users. Uh, certainly, the splice in and splice out stuff was was really important for me. Uh, the dual funding for channels was really important because that that is currently what what is really painful for people. And then we have some really, really nice uh, parts like uh, the rendezvous routing, which allows us to basically have uh, have payments go to anonymous recipients and not just have the center anonymity, but also the recipient anonymity. Um, One of the big anticipated features was basically that uh, we can now do multipath routing, which allows us to combine multiple paths uh, for a single payment. And that basically gives us the ability to Combine the capacity of uh, of all of our channels instead of having to choose one and be limited by that that one's capacity, and uh, it uh, it therefore allows us also to to uh, to push bigger payments through, and uh, uh, and hide the total amount, and uh, that gives us uh, gets us a lot closer to to a uh, to a point where we can actually hide all of these details from the user. Uh, users do not have to care about how they allocate uh, the funds to individual channels. They don't have to care about whether they keep funds on-chain or off-chain. And they can actually be presented with, with a single balance that they can use for both on- and off-chain payments. And the entirety of their funds will always be available for uh, to perform payments at any uh, at any time. So this is a huge UX win in my uh, in my book and uh, and I'm really happy that, that we got that agreed on. Um, it's probably the simpler version that we agreed on and with some additional research needed for more com- complex ones, but this will get us the functionality that that we wanted to get in initially.
3: Yeah.
2: So how is this multipath solution concocted? Like who was did someone do a, a doctorate paper on it or is it uh,
4: so th- there were a number of proposals, and I think the one that uh, that made it in as sort of the the first iteration of this concept was the one that, that Rusty proposed, which w- was basically uh, I know uh, you you get a partial payment. Uh, let's say you you had an invoice for ten dollars, and you get a payment for three dollars, uh, and uh, and you basically just set a single uh, a flag that says, hey, I know this is not the entire value. But there's more coming. Please hold the line. And then once you have actually received the entirety of the funds, then you can you can sort of acknowledge the receipt of, of all of the money and uh, and trigger the uh, the release of the payment and therefore uh, send send sort of the acknowledgement back to the uh, to the sender. Um, it's very uh, it's very simple in that it only requires the sender and the recipient to agree on this protocol. Um, the intermediate nodes do not have to support any of this. So uh, once we update sender and recipient, this will work today um, uh, and uh, no long upgrade path is needed. There were more complex uh, versions for uh, for this that needed more uh, communication between sender and recipient or in network support. Um, so we decided to sort of punt on those or Defer and say, "Hey, we need more research in that direction too, before we
3: can go down that road." Yeah. So, uh, um, to be clear, actually, I think it was Anthony Towns who proposed the really simple one as like oh. a um, "Here's the simplest thing we could do." And then I, I looked at that and went, "Actually, that gives us almost everything we want, and it's really easy." So we went for like the like. So, so the AMP is the uh, atomic multi payments was the. Um, Classic punny lightning name that uh, Lightning Labs came up with when they proposed the original one. And so they ended up kind of split in different flavors. And this 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 thing that got through is we call base amp because um, it's like the simplest. Um, and then there's like a low amp and high amp. Um, huh. So we've in there is sort of like a low amp. And high amp requires like Schnorr signatures and other Bitcoin changes. And that's like the ultimate amp um, that, you know, w- w- will be, you know, that, that's kind of a, a 2.0 thing.
2: Right. What what properties does high amp have over base amp?
3: So, with BaseAmp, amp, um, if I see multiple payments go through, I can tell that it's part of the same payment. They basically use the same pre image, right? There's no decorrelation, um, and this is something we really want. Um, so, we'll kind of get that pretty straightforwardly with Schnorr and scriptless scripts, and you know when, when we change to that once once Bitcoin flips. Um, there are there, there are funky ways of doing it today, but since Schnoor is coming, we're kind of like, well, the consensus generally was, okay, there are some things that are going to be way easier when that comes through. So, uh, but the other piece of consensus was, we've got so much stuff we want to do now. We're not going to like hang our hats on that peg right now. We're going to go, cool, that, that's a 2.0 or like a 1.2 thing if it requires Bitcoin changes. So, um,
2: yeah, that- it's funny. you mentioned Bitcoin changes. And if if we look at the history of Bitcoin changes, I feel like, almost all of the recent changes have been to for lightning, essentially, uh, CSV, CLTV, uh, malleability fix. Um, so it's, it's interesting that, you know, it's going to continue to be the case. It seems like, even though when I first heard about Schnorr, I had no idea that it had implications for lightning. I thought that it was, uh, really about getting rid of ECSA.
3: So to some extent, that's fair. I mean, lightning has definitely pushed some of these features, but, um, More generally, having a tangible level two is focused attention on it, right? Kind of going, oh, if we want to really build stuff on top of Bitcoin, um, these things are, you know, here are some really nice to haves. And it's easier to do that when it's a less theoretical thing. So these ideas have been around for a long time, but when you've got something to point at, you can go, Lightning could really use this, and here's exactly how we'd use it. Then it kind of crystallizes uh, why something's a good idea. Um, Even if in general, you're like, yeah, it seems like it'd be a useful thing for second layer, But if you don't have a second layer that's a lot weaker argument right so
4: yeah actually having a use case is is much stronger than than having this idea in a vacuum and and sort of never tested it out um and that's that's true for so many things that that we had in bitcoin for a while and this this is the way we we go forward right we show use cases and then we and then we start advocating for changes it's not the other way around it's not flexibility for flexibility's sake but it's it's, hey, there are actually use cases for, for, this, for this things
3: we, we, we want to get in there. Yeah, there are an infinite number of changes you could make to any protocol. And so you've got to, you know, you know, um, you, you don't want to start, start gardening for gardening's sake. Right. Uh, you've right. got driving, driving reason to do something. Uh, and Schnorr is like a win all over Bitcoin itself as well. So that's like such an easy sell everyone's excited to do it. Uh, but sorry, Lisa, um, I want your- Oh, what you, I'm we did excited about- to you, What, what, like did, you, what the, did you enjoy about the-, uh,
5: um, the I'm excited about, I think the splicing and dual channel stuff is gonna help a lot in terms of getting a more balanced network. Cause right now, most times when you go to open a channel, it's unidirectional unless someone sends payments over it towards you, um, which is kind of a problem if you're looking to like set up a shop or wanna try and make a node that like has a lot of capacity so you can be like a payment router for people. Um, So I think splicing is really going to help with that, as will dual-funded channels. Um, I think we've also agreed to add kind of a flag to the node announcements, so uh, nodes can advertise their willingness, more or less, to help dual-fund a channel. So if you wanted to open, um, if you were a shop and you wanted to get some inbound capacity so you could sell your widgets over Lightning, um, you would now have, like, an ability to look for other nodes that would be willing to help you dual fund a channel. Um, and I think that's going to go a long way to help making um, rebalancing kind of more automated and uh, like just have more liquidity in terms of like ability to make lightning payments. So that's cool stuff. Um, yeah.
2: The question that immediately comes to mind is how, how do you prevent people from abusing the, that feature where they would be able to tie up your capital?
5: I mean, so I think it depends on what you mean by type capital, right? Um, as far as like, as far as like, um, the advertisement doesn't have any like safeguards built into it, so you're like that's definitely a risk. Um, and I think that's stuff that we definitely want to like fix, um, but we're not going to let that stop us from like allowing people to advertise that you're able to do that.
3: Right? Yeah, I mean, there'll be some way of of provide. I mean, currently, like it's ad hoc. Like you know, there's there's places that will you know, provide liquidity for you, they'll connect to you and stuff like that. Um, Automating it just seems a straightforward step. And this this was Lisa's proposal. And the options, nominally currently called option will fund for food.
1: Uh,
3: uh, And you basically set a rate and say, cool, you know, um, and you push MSAT. So So basically, they will get paid by you opening the channel with them. Um, so okay. they sit there, okay, they go, cool, here's the base rate plus percentage or whatever of how much funds you want. Yeah. And then when you open, you'll say, cool, I want you to supply this much funding. Um, and you'll immediately push the the amount they've asked for. So as soon as the channel's open, they've been paid.
4: Yeah, it's, it's also worth mentioning that all of this is, is purely opt-in. Uh, so as a, as a potential liquidity provider, I will signal my, my willingness to provide liquidity to other people. And at the time of uh, of channel establishment, I will I will get an option to opt out again, uh, or basically uh, say how much uh, how much of that liquidity is still around, and uh, what my rate is to to uh, for for me to provide that liquidity. So it's it's I'm I'm actually getting paid to for this service yeah. uh, if I want to, or I can I, I can basically use that to increase my own utility as well.
3: Yeah. Um.
2: Now, I, ideally, this is all automated. So that brings me to the next question, which is about autopilot and uh, its future, and uh, within the Sea Lightning project or within the Lightning protocol.
3: Okay, uh, so <laughs> people will hear me. Um, so literally two hours ago, uh, Christian just pushed in the commit that adds plugins to Sea Lightning, and we're going to flesh that out some more in the coming weeks. So. Um, c Lightning is very much compartmentalized uh, with the idea that we can increase security by basically running things in as much as possible in completely separate processes, um, that we can then lock those those down. So um, uh, for things like uh, an autopilot, which potentially is doing like crazy AI, do what I mean kind of stuff, you really want that. To, to not have direct control of your funds, right? It's, it's, it's going to be like a cockroach-invested bug fest, right? Um, you know, because it's going to be doing, like, weird, hairy stuff. People are going to be doing research with it and all that stuff. So for us in Sea Lightning, it's really important that we we have a mechanism of separating those things out so people can go and write their own crazy autopilots in whatever language they want, um, you know, uh, doing doing whatever, whatever uh, they, they think is cool. Um, but there's definitely a demand. Like, certainly, you know, you fire up a node. Um, I really want an assistant to kind of go cool. I'm going to connect to a few nodes for you. I'm going to check things out, uh, start gossiping, see what things look like. And then, yeah, sure, suggest you for your first invoice, suggest maybe you should make a channel here in order to pay that invoice, right? Um, even if it's not a complete hands off experience, um, the current the the current mode of, well, what you do is you look on an Explorer and you kind of go, okay, how do I best connect to something near the Blockstream store so that I can buy my damn stickers uh, is like suboptimal. And definitely we want something on that. But with it, you know, then there's the full end of like, just run my node for me and figure out all the things and create and tear down channels on, you know. um, uh, You know, we may end up there eventually. Um, And most of the autopilots have like two missions, right? One is serve the user of the node. Uh, whatever that is, either help them make payments or help them ideally like collect funds for routing. Um, but they have a second mission, which is to like help the network as a whole, right? Lift all the boats. Um, and so there's like an interest, a whole interesting kind of category of how do they make these decisions? And I, I think it works out to some extent because if you're trying to collect funds, then what you're trying to do is find parts of the network that aren't well connected and, and be that bridge. Right, which is good for the network, right? Improves connectivity and, and makes everyone tighter. Um, if your mission is to increase payment reliability for yourself and screw everyone else, then maybe it's not as clear. Maybe you just want to connect to a central hub and, and do everything through that. So we're we're gonna see these these kind of games play out. Um, but I think as long as the the experience is good enough, people are happy to like, you know, to contribute to the broadness of the network, but also avoid a single point of failure for themselves, right? You don't want to connect to the one central thing. Because when that goes down, you're SOL, right? So, yeah.
4: So, so, so from a spec point of view, we we sort of uh, I think it was Rene who brought up uh, potential collaborations among different uh, different nodes to sort of share information and make a more informed decision about where to where to connect next and uh, how to coordinate uh, about how uh, about how we create the network. And uh, we we decided to uh, to sort of defer on that. Currently, we sort of want to see how much uh, how much uh, how good a, a, an autopilot can get without relying on uh, on remote information. Yeah, and if that turns out to not not be sufficient, then we can start opening up uh, a new new sources of information, including contacting other nodes and sort of relying on whatever they tell you, uh, because that's intrinsically hard right relying on on remote information that you haven't checked yourself that will make it hard so so that's definitely that's definitely something that we're thinking about uh but uh it, it currently got deferred on, uh, until a later point in time and when we see what what the pain points are for all the pilots because the network is still young we don't really know how it's going to look in the end
3: and what the these simple kind of autopilots uh, start doing. Yeah, when they really take over the network, you know, we start let's start building Skynet at one level at a time. So <laughs>
6: this is our this is our thinking at the moment. Awesome. So, uh, Rusty, uh, what were your favorite uh, takeaways from the summit?
3: Uh, well, I guess my favorite takeaway was probably pretty meta. I think um, it's still like a bunch of eighteen engineers like, you know, all together trying to uh, sort out and group through and, and find, like, what the, the clearest path is. And there's very much uh, kind of like uh, a camaraderie between everyone. We're all trying to kind of get to the same goal. And some of these questions are really hard, right? Um, so, you know, there's a lot of back and forth and, and a lot of goodwill uh, between the different implementations. Uh, you know, a bit of good-natured ribbing in there as well. But, you know, it... it it, it really is just great to sit in a room of people who are really dedicated to to try to solve some of these these problems and, and come up with the, the best solutions and, and make the right trade-offs. Um, and so for a meta thing, and as it has been for the last two years, I've been just really happy with the Lightning development community. It's been really just like a really nice place uh, to, to hang out and, and work on this exciting stuff with everyone's kind of like excited. And, you know, um, I, I think that's, I think, probably the main takeaway, and, and this has continued, um, and it gives me a huge amount of optimism that it's gonna continue into the future. I'm sure at some point it'll all become corporate and boring, but for now, it's, it's just really cool tech and, and everyone's having an, an awesome time. So I think, you know, there are individual, like a whole heap of things that I really enjoyed about it, but more I've got a huge optimism that, you know, we will deal with crises as they come in the future and we will, you know, continue to do, you know, that we'll continue to have this great ideas tab People come up with their ideas and you're like, wow, that is really awesome. I hadn't thought of that. Um, and, you know, uh, that doesn't seem to be slowing down, which is pretty awesome. Yeah, I,
6: I have a difficult time uh,
3: keeping up, which is why we have to do
6: this podcast.
4: <laughs> yeah. no, it's, it's, a, it's a very sincere community. And and we we are really open about trade-offs of, of individual proposals. And it's it's just really great to to sort of not have, have a, a hidden agenda or just just be able to to talk about the the ups and downs of of individual proposals and yeah. sort of hammer
3: out the the optimal solution for each of them, um, plus the occasional SpongeBob reference never hurts. Yes. Oh, and funny names for stuff. Oh yeah. So.
1: <laughs>
3: so yeah. No, it it was it was really great. Um, I think uh, it was good to see uh, so many uh, proposals get. Get you know the thumbs up, and it would, they were really well thought out, and it was well structured, um, and yeah. Now the hard work, hard work begins, right? So, uh, ask me again in six months; I might be tearing my hair out. But for now it, it feels really good. What hair? Yeah, <laughs> too late. <laughs> that happened post Milan. Yeah. So
6: earlier you were saying, um, you know, with like the the multi path stuff that um, uh, Schnorr would really help with that. Uh, what, the, what other kind of things uh, would Schnorr bring? Uh, as far as as far as capabilities to the Lightning Network,
5: we can talk about like gossip improvements. Right? Yeah. But, so, uh, so the um, right now we send a lot of signatures and some of our gossip stuff. And so one of the proposals that's on the table for one one, I think we,
3: we could accepted it. It's accepted it.
5: That's going in is that we're going to start using Schnorr signatures to sign our gossip to consolidate signatures on the go- node announcements. Is it? Or channel yeah. Announce- channel, announcements. <laughs> channel announcements. Channel announcements. So that will the amount of data that we need to send over the gossip network because we're able to take a bunch of signatures and condense it down into a smaller footprint. Yeah. So we sure. can
6: you explain eight, a little no. bit to uh, listeners about what the gossip network is and what it does for lightning?
5: Sure. Um, so gossip network is basically the way that you broadcast information about your node about channels. Um, there's one more. Channel announced node your rates and stuff. Your rates. Um, so basically, if you're trying to build, so basically every node has to build their own view of the network, like what channels and what nodes exist, and how much they're charging to send payments over them. Um, the gossip network is the way that that information gets propagated amongst all the different nodes.
3: So yeah, and at the moment, so announcing a no, announcing a channel. Um, you have to prove that you have the Bitcoin signatures. So you have two Bitcoin signatures, you know, hey, this is this is good. And then you have to prove that, of course, you signed this message and there's two of you. So remember you know, with these four signatures, uh, each one 64 bytes, it's the biggest message we send across the gossip network. Um, and Schnorr, uh, the recently proposed Schnorr bit, uh, lets us fold all those into like down to one signature. So three of them vanish, uh, which is pretty nice, um, particularly like on cell phones and stuff where you want to get, you know, cram as much data as you can into like a, a fairly thin pipe. So uh, the idea was, yeah, but look, you know, we, we pinged, uh, Peter Woola and said, is the schnorr kind of cooked? Like, is it safe to use or is it going to change again underneath this? And he seemed reasonably optimistic. I mean, we've still got a bit of time, right? Cause it'll be a while before we deploy it. But so yeah, the, the consensus was we're going to go for it. Um, there'll be, you know, we'll update our, Stuff to go to go schnorr, so we'll actually go schnorr before Bitcoin does, which is kind of cool. Um, and then when Bitcoin does, you know, well there'll be another rev to, to handle schnorr at that level. But just for our own stuff, we're talking to each other about what's happening on the network. Um, we're we're gonna go schnorr, and, and and that's that's pretty exciting, I think, for everyone. Yeah, and besides
4: besides the network uh, savings, we also get uh, get tremendous uh, computational savings because we now only verify a single signature instead mm-hmm. of four yeah. uh, per message. Uh, and and that's like ten thousand times three signatures that we don't have to verify anymore. Yeah, mm-hmm. so that's a huge win. Yeah. So
3: so yeah, it's like it, this is all like it was one of those sort of cheap wins, right? The only pain point is, of course, now we have to support the old ones and the new ones for a while while we transition across. But okay. the consensus was that you know this is low hanging fruit. We've got to do it. So it'll be interesting, like as a bit of a canary, see how long that takes, how long before you can throw away the old ones and go, no, I'm going to go support the new style, you know, and that depends on the nature of the network and, and, and who we see upgrading and stuff. So that's going to be like a real litmus test. Like how fast is the lightning network uh, rev?
6: On sort of that note, you know, in, in Bitcoin, because everything is, uh, you know, uh, decentralized and all of that, the backwards compatibility is a very huge issue. Uh, does Lightning Network uh, need to be as wary about backward compatibility?
3: So we did kind of bake in. Uh, we we baked in right at the beginning um, this this idea of like optional and compulsory features. And you can tell that a feature is compulsory, so that you can start something as an optional feature, and then it's an individual decision. At some point, if you go, "No, I'm not going to support that old crap." You 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 flip to the compulsory version, and anyone connecting to you will go, "Oh, well, okay, you've got this compulsory thing that I don't understand what that is." So we can't talk, um, you know, and because it's like, so, so because it's not a peer-to-peer network the same way that we require global consensus, mm-hmm. um, that's, Bitcoin does that for us, right? So one layer up, it's all about individual connections. So, you know, um, it's a lot easier problem, right? You're going to go, well, nobody's connected to me in the last three months who's needed this old feature. I can actually cut it out. Um, and you're not going to take down the network or fork the network or something, right? So, um, We've got that advantage. We've also got, we're just a younger network, right? Um, you know, nobody's doing back, you know, support for older versions of their software. Everyone's going like, just just upgrade, right? We're still at that stage where are like, hey, mm-hmm. new shinies come out, go, go run that now. Um, and that, you know, that's part of the fun of being early stage. We can kind of go, okay, no, just, just upgrade that will solve your problems. So <laughs> do tend to have-
2: or Or compile master and it will solve the problem. That's right. Yeah. Yeah.
5: Being being reckless
2: is a prerequisite.
5: Yeah. The other nice thing about lightning is compared to Bitcoin is that a lot of the data we send is like ephemeral, like a payment, like it either makes it through or it doesn't. And it gets reflected in these channel balances. So unlike Bitcoin, which like has the whole blockchain, right? And if you signed a contract like three years ago and they're changing how signatures are done, you have to make sure that those contracts or like you know bitcoin transactions are basically still enforceable so you do have to really be backwards compatible for bitcoin whereas lightning it's like you know like did the payment get through yes or no we'll download the new version and try again because you're not up to speed
3: yeah and so and the other thing is that because lightning always the fallback is we can't do anything okay drop to the, drop to the bitcoin network right uh, oh something went wrong drop the book of the bitcoin network so even if we screw you over because you haven't an upgraded and everyone else has, <laughs> you can't talk to anyone anymore. Okay, the answer is you go back to the Bitcoin network and you, you know, do the whole on chain thing and get your funds back mm-hmm. that way. Um, so we don't have, because we, we've always got that sitting there for us, you know, but there's a whole heap of class of problems we don't have to worry about, uh, including you know, isolating someone on the network. They can't spend their money anymore, it simply isn't there. So we're, we're, you know, we can be a lot more like, um, like free and easy than the, the Bitcoin types who have to actually care
4: yeah, I yeah. think I think we should probably also mention that that the that the Lightning user community is is really active and really really participates a lot in in the development, yeah. and uh, they're they're really tech savvy people that that run this, and and that was that was sort of part of our initial rollout where where we sort of said, hey, uh, this is this is this should be used by people that are actually interested in in contributing to the to the technology. And now we're slowly uh, reducing barriers to entry to get more more uh, uh, people on board but uh, the the community is still is still very much active in, in following the development of uh, things and reporting issues and and helping us figure out stuff that that could be could be improved and that also keeps the uh, that that's also rewarding for them uh, the to, to see that yes uh, the thing that you just you just submitted last week actually makes it and and get gets fixed.
3: Yeah. Well, I mean, so so I, I had one user who lost funds because of a bug, and he wanted to buy me a beer. And I'm like, no, that's that's the wrong way. <laughs> right? I owe you, like you know, you're like, well, you know, this is the wrong way. But our, our you know users are like, here, have all my logs and have my private keys and just you know whatever, right? Um, whatever you need to debug this. And so, you know, that's scary. Yeah, you're sitting there, <laughs> you're sitting there feeling really bad because they've hit some corner case you didn't anticipate. And you're like, well, crap. Um, but but they're like, no, what can I do to help, right? And so, um, so, so that's, just, that's just been incredibly rewarding at this stage.
2: Yeah, so, so people say that like, oh, you know, users are only interested in Bitcoin because they own Bitcoins and that'll appreciate in value. Like you don't have that with Lightning, right? So um, I, I think that that analysis is like off base. And wh- what do you th- where do you think that energy, that user enthusiasm comes from for Lightning?
4: It's it's very much like uh, like when uh, in like two thousand and nine when when all of this started right it was it was this sort of Bitcoin didn't have any value everybody was in it for the tech and uh, and and that that was that was the the community that I personally fell in love with with which is like hey we're just a bunch of geeks sitting around the table and, and discussing tech and and who cares about valuations and stuff um, and uh, I I missed that for the longest time and and now sort of. We we get some of that back and and now we're we're back in in techie space again. Yeah.
3: There's I mean there's still people who are like, yeah, very much okay, cool, I can I can make money on this, but they're like, I, I'm gonna build stuff on top of lightning to make money, right? I'm not just gonna you know, I'm not just gonna like paint lightning on something and wait for it to turn into magic money, right? Um so so there are people who are definitely driven by a cool, I wanna I wanna, you know, I more of the mercantile interest, but but they're the ones who are like, Oh, so I'm gonna build this service on top of lightning and they're 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 still really engaged and really active. So um it has a different vibe, uh, to, I think, uh, than yeah, a much more early Bitcoin vibe than like a ooh, you know, free money. Oh, we do get the occasional question like, "How do I buy into Lightning?" Um, but we don't answer. Well, when's people. your ICO? Yeah, when's your ICO? <laughs> We're going to sell Lightning Sparks, and it's going to be this thing. Huh. Uh, so yeah. Um, no, generally, I think, I think that's really contributed. It's about, you know, this stage is still about people building stuff. Like, there's the Lightning Makers and stuff like that. People trying to, like, you know, use this for stuff. Now, you know, maybe indirectly, they think it'll be good for Bitcoin or everything else. But, you know, uh, fundamentally, the coalface, they're all trying to, like, do cool stuff. So, yeah.
4: maybe you can invert that question. I mean, you were you were at the Lightning Hacker Residency and the Lightning Hack Day in, in New York. What got you into, uh, into Lightning and what, what piqued your interest?
2: I'm only in it for the money. I don't care about the technology. No, I'm kidding. Um, no, but my my background uh, is in accounting, and I I got my bachelor's and master's in accounting. So already, I was interested in the topic of you know, generally speaking, uh, finance and payments and uh, moving money around. It was kind of my wheelhouse. Um, but what particularly got me interested in Lightning is the whole scaling debate that we spent several years go- going through and. Um, it, already in 2013 and 2014, I was already a, a small block proponent and I didn't even know that there was anyone that really agreed with me. I, I thought that like I was kind of going out on a limb on, on this one, but, um, only later did I find out that most people agree with me, um, thanks to very good censorship on our Bitcoin, uh, I was
4: excited, the people. I'd say
2: <laughs> only the people
3: who know what they're doing, um,
2: and so, uh, yeah, so the, the whole idea of having a layer two uh, as a way of scaling was clear to me as a, as a fantastic solution that um, would actually increase the utility of layer one and increase its value. Uh, and, and I mean value in the sense of transaction fees getting paid, because I, I kind of saw as like the long term problem with Bitcoin is how do we transition from having a, inflation and having a, you know, creation of new units to just paying for hash rate with fees? Because in in the white paper, Satoshi mentions it, but he doesn't really explain, like, how do we get there? Uh, And is there kind of a trade-off between, uh, you know, volume, quantity of transactions going through uh, versus trying to limit that to artificially increase the total fee revenue? Um, So with my economics background, like, that's, that's kind of what I saw as being a major problem that we would have to have... Substantial demand for on-chain transactions that is relatively inelastic. Um, otherwise, if it's elastic, then people go and use Litecoin and they use go go use Bitcoin Cash or whatever. Um, but if it's inelastic, then they they are really depending on the security guarantees and properties of the Bitcoin network itself. Anyway, that's that, that that's my answer to, to the Lightning. Is, uh, that's much deeper than our answer. That was,
3: <laughs> yeah.
6: You know, on, on that note, um, Rusty, I was I was going through some of your old blog posts um, uh, before before the show, and uh, you you talked a lot about the the scaling debate back in you know 2015 2016, and at the time, uh, you thought for instance like a reasonable fee was about 25 cents. Yeah, you know that's where we should kind of like maybe think about targeting. So I guess. Uh, I, since then, how has uh, Lightning development shaped some of your views on on uh, these these scaling questions and where, for instance, like where the base protocol ought to go? Oh, fees are hard.
3: So yeah, fee, fee, fees are hard. It was just the summary. I mean, uh, to be fair, like my first uh, professional entree into Bitcoin, like, you know, I'd be following along on the sidelines, but, but my first... Uh, a serious development effort was when I took a sabbatical from, from my day job for six months uh, and wrote a side chain called petty coin, which was exactly addressing this whole scaling problem of, you know, what if we wanted to say, have a side chain that, that traded off some like, you know, it's less secure than Bitcoin, but that's okay. Cause they use it for petty cash, right? What would it look like? Mm-hmm. Um, and that was called Pettycoin. Uh, it got everyone confused because they're like, why are you writing an altcoin? I was like, it's not an altcoin, but the word sidechain didn't exist yet. So, um, but the idea was it was real Bitcoins, but you know, you, you move them onto that network, you use that for your petty cash, you're paying for a coffee and you move them off. So then when the, um, uh, and I learned a lot of things, mainly things not to do. Uh, but then when the Lightning Paper came out, um, this was like, well, this is a way better way of doing like a layer two. Uh, but that had always been my, you know, and and, and to be fair, the first real criticism of like Bitcoin when Satoshi kind of announced it was, you know, what about scale? Um, And he kind of waves it off as like a champagne. Very, very first email he got back uh, when he posted on the cryptography mailing list. Yeah. So this is not like, you know, this is a, this is not an unusual question to look at Bitcoin and go, well, that's nice, but uh, what are we going to do about scale? So, so that's always been kind of in my wheelhouse. Like let's, let's do something about it. What, what can we do? Um, And so, uh, So Lightning is definitely, you know, the obvious place to go today for scale. I don't think it's going to be the only thing that lets us scale. Um, There's going to be like a whole range of things. Um, You know, when we look at L2, it opens up a whole heap of possibilities about this kind of more amorphous multi-party layer two where we all have consensus. And if we don't, we fall back to chain kind of thing, Um, you know, uh, which if you squint is kind of what Lightning is, but it's a generalization. So... um, I definitely think we're going there. The the thing is that you know if I pick a number and say, hey, I don't want to pay more than twenty five cents for a transaction, that's all nice, but nobody cares, right? Yeah, you know, nobody has the control. You know, nobody has their finger on the the scales that they can they can make that adjustment. So, I can pick a number like that, but it you know it's it's the least relevant number in the universe, right?
2: Um, well, I mean, so- if if we add that that the Bitcoin price is so uh, subject to manias that drive on chain uh, activity that you, you go from zero to $30 back to zero in a matter of months. And it's, it's very hard to pick out a target. And then if you try to have some kind of crazy mechanism for on chain, you know, adjusting the block size limit that I haven't seen anything credible come from that.
3: Yeah. So it's interesting because one of the big wins that we didn't mention, uh, uh, of the, the <laughs> they're both nodding, <naughty>, right? <laughs> uh, so, so with with um, uh, with lightning, you're always holding a valid Bitcoin transaction, right? You've always got this thing that'll get your funds back. So if all else fails, you drop that to chain and you go. Except that of course the question of fees, right? How much fee should that be paying? And it turns out uh, that trying to figure out what future fees will be. In an unbounded sense, is impossible, right? So we have this impossible task of going. Let's make sure the fees on that are big enough that we can, you know, that we will be able to to use it when we need it. Um, and you know, we we had no end of problems even in the small scale. But you look on, the, you zoom out, and you go, well, no wonder you can't tell the future. So that's your problem, right? Um, so one of the things that everybody wanted, uh, and, and probably consumed most of the uh, most of the time, it was the largest single topic and the most um, not hardly debated, but intensely uh, minutia debated topics was how do we get around this? And we have a proposal and, you know, it was refined during that. And basically we'll use child pays for parents. So your current transaction itself will be like a minimum fee low ball. Um, but then you'll have an output that you can use to push it into the chain.
5: The um, anchoring, I think, it, is the term. That...
3: Yeah. So like anchoring or the hooks or... Um, I'm kind of like a push pad because you can actually literally push it. Uh, but, you know, um, so designing that and making sure that works is uh, is a key part. And it avoids this whole negotiation that we currently undergo where we kind of go, I think we should increase fees. And you're like, well, no, I think that's a bit on the pricey side. And so I'm going to close the channel on you because we can agree on fees, um, which has been, a you know, uh, e- even though fees have been uh, pretty pretty stable recently, uh, when we saw a fee spike, we'd see channels closed because of this fee disagreement. And, and I mean, fee spikes could be caused by a single block coming in that I saw and you didn't see. Yeah, that's right. We might be slightly out of sync, right? You might have seen a block come through, I haven't, and you go, "No, no, no fees have dropped. It's all good." And I'm like, "No, they but they haven't. I don't believe you." <laughs> and we fight It, uh, it cause like a cascading problem if
2: everyone's doing that, then it just keeps on going. That's right.
3: You know, so um, and also it opens a vector of attack.
4: We, we we didn't really see a cascade, but we we'd see a number of blocks that would close like dozens of channels at once. Yeah. Simply because, mm. well, the previous one dropped the fee rate so much that we just, that a lot of channels disagreed and we yeah. just closed
3: stuff. Yeah. And increasingly, that you know, we we were sort of working our way through these issues. But then, yeah, again, you zoom out and you go, well, this is an impossible problem. Let's solve it a completely different way. So that's that's coming in. Everyone was really happy with that because we have wrestled with it, you know, for, for the last two years almost. So so that's like an internal improvement, which will just improve stability of the whole network.
2: Is it the definitive solution, or are there uh, longer-term solutions? Uh...
3: Ah. Ah. <laughs> uh, I'm glad you asked. Um, so what, when people talk about the Schnorr um, improvements in, in in Bitcoin, they're also kind of rolling in this, this new SIG hash uh, flag. We can't actually add a SIG hash flag easily today, but if we're doing a new signature scheme, while we're there, we can add a new SIG hash flag. And basically, this SIG hash no input uh, which is actually Christian's currently. Christian is like the the, the lead author on the the draft BIP. Um, will allow us to do a much better job of this, right? It's much cleaner. Um, basically, you can have a special signature, special transaction that can be attached dynamically to multiple different points. Um, so you can have one thing that can, you know, that, that could spend uh, almost an arbitrary number of uh, of, of carefully crafted uh, transaction outputs. And that allows you to do a whole heap of really cool things. Um, and it's the basis for L2, um, but it also saves us a lot of fee headaches. So So yeah, that's definitely, and that was somewhat the inspiration to this, because the fact that there was a solution meant we started looking harder at what we have today to see if we could come up with something that was decent. and I think we arrived at it. Uh, it's not perfect, though. Uh, L2 will be, you know, uh, a, a simplification again.
4: Yeah, it's, it's, it's always this, this kind of nice uh, thing that, that you come up with something completely different, and then you're able to backport part of it, backport the, the really nice part. Uh, for example, this this punting of, uh, of fees yeah. uh, to when you actually need them. Uh, that, that was backported, and, and it actually makes total sense and, and gave us this, this new view on, on the thing and was like, oh, we, we've been trying to incrementally make our way through this and, and sort of get to a nice place. Where we can go this whole another route, and which which is way easier and and solves a lot of problems.
3: Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, I mean, it's it's a really in the weeds kind of thing, but it's just one of these contributions that makes the whole network more robust.
2: That's great. Well, uh, our podcast is all about getting in the weeds, so thank you for <laughs> writing that. I've got I've got two questions from our uh, live audience. Um, the first question is. Uh, what, what kind of services are people talking about building on Lightning?
3: So there's a Lightning Makers telegram where people are always talking about, you know, uh, stuff that they're making. Um, you know, I mean, everyone's like, you know, there's there's a number of, uh, you know, any service you can imagine. Everyone's like, cool, could we use Lightning for this? Um, I think the ones that I'm most excited about are not the, we already accept payments and we could also take Lightning. I mean, that's kind of cool, but it's like you already accept payments already done, right? Right. Um, and they're great for feedback, right? How's lightning different from what you've got? How how are you finding it and all this stuff? Um, But what excites me is like things where it wasn't possible to take payments before. Like, you know, um, to really see people do things with microtransactions that simply, you know, there wasn't even a possibility before because credit card fees or whatever were were just too high to make this sensible. Or, you know, maybe you were originally doing it on Bitcoin the Bitcoin network itself, but that was only ever gonna work during like the free phase of Bitcoin in the early days. So um, those are the ones that I think are, are really interesting. And they're also hard to evaluate because there are things that don't exist already, right? You're like, you know, Satoshi's Place is the dumbest idea ever, which just shows that I'm totally hopeless at evaluating ideas, right? Um, but there is something that that really is very hard to do. Um, you know, the million dollar homepage worked because at a dollar a pixel, it kind of, you know, it scaled okay. Um, but you could not do a Satoshi's Play-style thing where you're charging, what, 0.0063 cents or something per pixel. Um, that, that that could that could not be done by a credit card. So uh, I think things like that I find much more innovative, but also much harder to evaluate. So th- that def- my ears definitely perk up when, when people are using real microtransactions for things. Um, the thing, I, the gap that I see that we haven't seen really well addressed is, Earning microtransactions for people, like it's one thing to have a centralized thing that you pay microtransactions to, but what about like trading microtransactions? What about people earning payments for, for via Lightning? Um, and that's, I think, a little bit harder to set up, but also much better for that whole uh, Bitcoin bootstrap kind of problem. Like how do I get Bitcoin? Problem? It's like, well, if there was something you could do that would earn your Lightning payments, you know, and maybe people like fund a channel to you to start with, and then you, you know, you slowly gather these things. We can do tiny payments with low overhead. Um, so, potentially, there's a way there for people to get Bitcoin via Lightning. Um, that, you know, it's difficult today because of the way the channels work, but when we've got dual funding, and we've got all these other mechanisms, um, this is some possibility that opens up. So, I'm still keeping my ear to the ground. But, of course, a number of people are, you know, kind of keeping close to their chest what they're working on, and then they kind of do this big announce. Yeah. So, you know, I could turn around tomorrow and go, someone's already done it, right? So, there's a lot of, lot of excitement with people building stuff. Yeah, the, the, the most exciting
4: part probably is this this extending the reach of Bitcoin to where it wasn't use, uh, useful before, and yeah. I think there there's there's so many venues where you where you can actually make use of micropayments to disintermediate stuff. Yeah. Uh, so it's so the one use case that is very near and dear to my heart is uh, is uh, sort of the content creator uh, uh, payments uh, where now uh, nowadays if you write a blog post the only option you have to monetize that. You you've put work in there. It's it's only it's only nice to sort of get uh, get uh, recognized for it. Uh, the only option you have today is basically go to go to a huge ad network uh, that that will that will sell ads on your page. And to actually be efficient at that, they will need to collect huge amounts of profile data about users and target ads. And there there's this whole side market for for this uh, these profiles that that spring up, which are only driven by by the need to to sell ads to you, so, so you really uh, start sidest- uh, sidestepping that if you enable people to uh, I like this blog post I want to tip them like a few cents and the uh, and there is no need for profiles I can be totally anonymous and you will still get uh, you will still get a few cents which might even be more than what you get today with with ads and you sort of you sort of remove this incentive to to sort of stalk on everybody. Uh, on the network, just to sell them, uh, sell them, uh, sell them random junk, and you take away this intermediary that that does all of this uh, data collection and data collation and stuff. Um, so, so that's that's something that I'd like to see, and that we are starting to see with with the with the entire paper call and and add and flatter but, uh, button style uh, mm-hmm. interactions. And uh, so, i I'd, I'd like to see a lot more of that.
2: Lisa, any apps that you're excited about?
5: I think that my, I'm mostly excited, and this is like more of like, I've, like a personal project like i really excited about people just selling widgets over lightning i know that's silly but i think credit cards are going to be like i want to see credit cards over the internet like die if that makes sense and i think that lightning is <laughs> no like, ambition
3: there no just ambition saying,
5: yeah. like um and i think that lightning is like a, i think going to be a really important part of making that happen
4: i yep. mean if if you're, if you're comparing it to credit cards it's 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 also completely a different uh, different way of thinking about payments, right? Credit cards are mostly pull based, yeah. whereas uh, whereas with the like push based payments, payments that you get yeah. with Bitcoin and also with with Lightning is uh, uh, are, are you you take much more control over your personal finances yeah. than with a credit card that you where you see the bill at the at uh, the end of the month and and say okay yeah that sort of looks right um, I'm yeah. not going to check that.
2: Yeah, um, and, and couldn't you still have the credit aspect of a credit card with lightning if someone lends you satoshis on the lightning network and that way you can you can spend throughout the month and then you repay them at the end of the month when you get your your paycheck or whatever it is.
5: It sounds like an application that someone could build over lightning. Yeah, totally. Yeah,
3: <laughs> I mean, I think there's um, but, <laughs> but, but you're really still in familiar. control over your your phones, right. right? You
4: actively. Acknowledging that there is this payment going on, and it's not some some institution that goes in and pulls from your bank account. Yeah, yeah. yeah
3: so that that reversal is important, and you know, there there's there's proposals like uh, you know recurring invoices and stuff that that split the difference quite nicely. Like, vendors love basically you agreeing to a recurring charge on your credit card. Um, but it really is a bit it's, – it's a bit slimy, right, because it's not transparent to the user. Whereas, you know, if, if it was in your wallet app and you agreed, yeah, cool, I'll have to pay that every month or every day or whatever, you know, it would be in your face. Like you'd be there going, "Hold on, I'm leaking money. What's Where is it happening? And you can cancel it at any time because you, you're pushing payments. They're not pulling. Right. It's, so, it's not
2: like with a gym membership where you have to send in a letter explaining that you are canceling yeah. your membership and it has to be notarized and signed. blah. blah, blah. <laughs> Um, you just hit cancel on your wallet and done. They don't get the money anymore.
3: That's right, and I think that that's a much healthier like financial relationship. <laughs> yep. To be honest, I agree. Uh,
2: and my wife's a financial planner, so she's going to love this when I explain this aspect. <laughs> of um, now we have another question here that's actually related to invoices. Um, they, they one of our viewers saw on the uh, Bolt, I think it was uh, deferred decisions standard format for LAPS to get an invoice from a Lightning Network wallet. Uh, if they could give further insight into the discussion around that, why it was deferred and what the implementations would be like.
3: Right. So there was there was a discussion, um, Tayaki led this, uh, which was, um, you know, so so there's currently just, just no agreement on, uh, on how you fetch an invoice, like in the manual payment flow, you know you've got an invoice on your page, and you just you scan the QR code or whatever. Um, but having like a a, a higher level um, API where basically you can you can pull an invoice for something uh, is something that's kind of a little bit outside of spec of Lightning. But certainly, if enough people want to do this programmatically, um, then they're looking at basically producing a, a like you know a spec for for how that would work for something. Um, For many use cases, it's not relevant, but you could imagine there are cases where um, you do want to automate that—that you know, go to this URL and fetch the invoice and and prepare it. So, sort of like one level above uh, what we currently have, Um, we deferred it simply that you know, I think there's a few discussions. It's a little bit outside spec, um, but defer was a number of things we deferred simply because we felt the discussion was going to go on too broadly, and we had two days. Um, So, there there are a number of things that are marked like that, and it simply means it's going to go on list. Um, And, you know, we haven't said no, we haven't said definitely going, definitely pushing back. um, But, you know, and that's an opportunity for people who are involved, uh, broader people, particularly something like this. uh, We weren't necessarily the right people in the room to make those calls. So um, we push it out there. People can discuss on the mailing list if they have specific uses and stuff, and we can hash it out much better. Uh, Some of the deep protocol stuff The best people are definitely in the room, and it's the right place to do it while we're face-to-face and and smash this out. But uh, for some of the higher-level questions, um, we need much broader input. Um, Now, that said, even the stuff that we've made is all like, you know, nothing is final until it's all final. So uh, all the decisions are being published now, and there's a lot of ongoing – the mailing list has exploded uh, with with way too much stuff of people discussing all these things. So, you know, we're now in that kind of betting down phase. Um, And it's quite possible that somebody will come along and go, hold on there's a way better way of doing this thing. Um, and we'll you know, have to have to kind of unpick some of our decisions. But, and that happened a little bit in Milan, but generally, you know, we had 90% of it by the time we left the room. And I think we're, we're there now.
2: Awesome. Um, my, my question uh, going into this was, um, what is your vision of the ideal outcome for Lightning? Like what, what's the best case scenario for Lightning? And uh, what what does that look like? Or or is that even something that you could, you know, foresee? That's very personal. I can tell how difficult yeah. of a question
6: by how they all leaned back. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
4: I guess if you ask ten people you'll get twelve different answers. Mm-hmm. Um,
5: I think I would, like, kind of bootstrap off of, like, Rusty's answer earlier about these, like, micropayments, right? I think, like, an ideal situation for Lightning is it enables, like, payments at a scale and at a level that's, like, just currently not possible. Like, so it kind of, like, opens up, like, new ways of, like, commerce or, like, what, like, economics, right? For, like, things that maybe weren't possible in, like, a credit card era um, are totally feasible in a... Um, you know, lightning payment era because you can do stuff on like such a tiny level and it's like so low cost to get payments sent between people.
3: Yeah. So you have to understand that. So micropayments have been like a, like like VR has kind of been like in waves. Like it's been the big thing <laughs> several times now. Uh, you learning. Uh, you know, yeah, there, there's mm. been this, this, this hype wave and I've been through a couple of them. Um, and, you know, this is happening the reverse. It's not like, hey, you know, We need record for X. We're like, we're just building it. And we have, you know, we can, everyone can think of a few ideas of things, but I, I get the feeling it'll be something we did not expect. And knowing me, it'll be something I said was stupid and people quit me on that for years. Right. But it'll be, you know, it'll explode and it'll be the thing that drags people kicking and screaming. Like, you know, they don't want Bitcoin. They just want this, this crazy app or whatever it is. And so they will get Bitcoin just so that they can do this thing. Um, you know kids these days whatever right it'll be something that that will be hit that sweet spot where bike repayments will suddenly become a thing that they really want to do and so people from outside our community kind of start coming in and going well this is no i'm just here for this um and therefore i need to get bitcoin so i can do this right so there will be this um people jumping on lightning because suddenly there's something there's, there's like a killer app right uh, that actually starts to, to make sense and it'll probably be something that, that we might sit here going I don't even really get, like, you know, Mm -hmm. Snapchat lightning, whatever it is, right? It'll be something, (laughs) like what, why? Twitter, Um, why limit yourself to 140 characters? Yeah, Uh, that's right, you know. Um, But, but yeah, we'll all end up reluctantly using it anyway, right? So um, I just think it it will be something that will surprise me, right? Um, It will be something that I didn't. Did not pick in like a million years. Um, We may also get the like you know the whole you know weaning off credit cards, the increased anonymity. We may get like you know uh, an option, a side option, alternative to like monetizing eyeballs and stuff like that. We may see all of those as well. But I worry about making predictions because they're the ones I can see, and it's always the ones I can't see that surprise me. So we're kind of like building this tech to open this new world that we haven't had before, and so I'm really reluctant to kind of extrapolate from what we have. because I'm probably missing something really important.
4: Yeah, I'm 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 probably lowballing with my expectations here a bit. But uh, for for me, the the really exciting part and what I'd like Lightning to become is a complementary technology to Bitcoin because yeah. Bitcoin is what what I like. I want to see Bitcoin succeed, and and have Lightning as a complementary technology that extends the reach of Bitcoin. That's really exciting for me, and that's that's where I want to go. Yeah.
2: Awesome. Michael, do you have another question? No. Um, so I have a few more questions from the audience <laughs> here. Um, oh, so one of the questions is like, it, on, on the subject of like a, a, a lightning type killer app, is there a kind of app that uh, you know people talk about having decentralized apps on Ethereum? A kind of app that like Satoshi's place is centralized in the sense that it's sitting on one web server, um, but something that could exist on the uh, Lightning Network where someone, you know, for example, you were talking about the optional features that people have on nodes. Could someone essentially take one of those optional features and say, all right, this is going to be like a uh, chat messaging app uh, built on Lightning Nodes?
3: So uh, funnily enough, there's there's a... So so we we, we ripped the... um the uh, the onion stuff from an academic project uh, called Sphinx, and those academics, on top of that, Sphinx layer built Hornet, which is basically like Tor, right? Um, a high speed uh, you know, onion routing uh, network. Uh, and 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 roast beef certainly has been eager since at least Milan to implement Hornet. Like let's go all the way. Let's let's implement this full you know anonymity network. And we're kind of like that's that's like you know out of scope. Um, and so while I don't think that we're going to see those that, fold, that functionality folded in any time soon, there's certainly a complementariness there, right? Where you build, uh, you know, where, where Lightning nodes may opt in to also be this upper layer node or they could maybe all be, you know, to some extent coupled. Um, and you may reuse a lot of the technology and a lot of the stuff that we've got to produce something like this, right? Uh, that is definitely a possibility. And the fact that we've got now got a widely deployed Sphinx network just makes that ste- next step much easier. So I would certainly encourage somebody who wants to go, go in that direction to, to, yeah, please, please go do it. Um, and so, yeah, I think there's definitely a possibility. Particularly, there, there's a there's a universe in which, you know, people set up all these Lightning nodes, they're used to running them and everything else. And if there's another thing they can do with their Lightning nodes um, that may, may be some kind of monetization opportunity, you know, because I think fees may well they'll always be kind of subsistence level, right? Because there will always be people who route really cheaply because they want it for their own usage. So, you know, uh, there may be a possibility there to so go, cool, well, we can actually run this other network. Um, here's an add-on to your Lightning node that does that too. And and that may well become the thing, right? So. Yeah. Interesting.
2: Uh, and w- what do you think right now is the bottleneck in terms of scaling the uh, Lightning network? Or what will be the bottleneck when... More and more nodes and channels are open. Currently,
4: developer resources. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. So uh, we, we we currently bottleneck mostly on uh, on us being able to reply to uh, to uh, user feedback and issues, which is why we sort of slowed the growth of the network on on, uh, on purpose. Um, we're we're still a really small developer community that that has to take care of all of these issues, uh, and um, and most of these are. Simple. Some of them aren't as simple, yeah. Yeah. and will take a take a bit long uh, more time. Um, so, sorry about everybody who has submitted an
3: issue <laughs> and you
4: haven't gone a reply yet. Um, it's uh, we we were we we're really really busy trying to to hammer down the user experience and everything before we open up this this to a more broader audience, uh, which would then sort of uh, uh, accelerate the uh, the uh, the growth of the network much much quicker. We'd we'd like to have a solid foundation before before having everybody and their mom jump yeah. jump on board.
3: Yeah. I think that's true, right? There's no, we're not hitting our heads on any limitations right now. Um, there are there are cumulative annoyances, which are limiting the growth of the network, right? Um, and that was, uh, 1.1 Specs is all about kind of, you know, incremental improvements on stuff. And together, I think it's compelling. Um, but there's no obvious like, oh, crap, we're going to fall over if we hit. Twenty thousand nodes, or something like that, right? You know, mm-hmm. um, there's more. You know, when we get to a million, nodes, there's there's kind of another kind of soul searching moment where you're cool. Okay, how do we go from here? But we've got a lot of headroom right now in any technical scaling uh, amount. I mean, um, you have to talk about your your micro node, for example. Oh, um, I don't think I have it you here. Don't have it
4: here, but uh, yeah. So so there there's. There's different uh, different uh, projects that are now trying to to build sort of a home hub uh, kind of device, that, a small device that, like a Raspberry Pi or even smaller that you can deploy at, at home, and and we're sort of trying to to get uh, to get lightning to a point where where we can run it on these really really low power devices that you could basically run for, for uh, off a battery pack for like a month, um, and uh, and so. Us even considering running these these small devices shows how how little how little power these actually you know, the the, the liking uh, implementations actually need to to be run. Um, the I think the 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 only reason why mobile nodes are having trouble is basic connectivity. Hmm. If you have a node that that runs at home that serves as your personal hub at home, uh, then then uh, you sort of can sidestep. Many of these issues simply because well it's running twenty four seven it's connected twenty four seven and uh, you can you can pipe back in um, but yeah on on a on a technical side there there's not too many uh, issues uh, with scalability at all um, it's just as I said it's 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 us sort of trying to control the growth of the network and and not be overwhelmed by by everybody joining at
3: once and and uh, uh, and us not being able to uh, to respond anymore. We still have the yeah the reckless tag out there, kind of warning people that you know you're still joining like you know this this bleeding edge thing. Uh, thank you for your lo- you know, thank you for your loss, kind of thing.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and how how do you scale the number of lightning developers? Like do do we see that increasing over time, or uh, is is there more attention that needs to be paid there?
3: Yeah, so there was there was like a dozen uh, developers uh, in in Milan. There were like uh, eighteen uh, in uh, including a couple of absentees, like we would have been 20 uh, in Adelaide. Um, and that's only because we kind of artificially limited, like, you know, what are our top 20, like the top 20 contributors, let's, let's get them in a room. Um, there's definitely like a lot more activity that seems to be kind of scaling up. Um, everyone seems to be hiring uh, Lightning developers. It takes time to grow a developer, right? Um, especially in this this space where it's, you know, uh, you were saying how hard it is to keep up with what's going on, right? Mm. Um you can't hire an experienced lightning dev uh, unless you steal from one of the other companies. We haven't quite gotten there yet. Uh, so, you know, you do have to bring people up to speed um, and that just takes time, right? Uh, we're 10 years into the Bitcoin thing and it's still hard to get good Bitcoin devs, right? Um, Cause there's a learning curve. And with lightning, the learning curve is even more accelerated because you know, if you've read all the specs, you're now behind because one's coming out, right? Well th- <laughs> that
2: and you need to know Bitcoin plus lightning that's,
3: That's right yeah. yeah
2: exactly
4: but, but but there's definitely initiatives that, that are uh, that uh, that I like uh, to see there uh, is there's, there's hack day which is awesome to get uh, to get people first of all interested into lightning and then sort of get them uh, uh, into the pipeline to become developers um, there's uh, there's a the hack residency which uh, was just last month which uh, which really gets uh, gets people interested and also gets uh, gets them into the weeds and sort of on the right path to 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 start contributing to these uh, things. There is uh, uh, there is now a couple of initiatives that uh, that are trying to teach uh, how to uh, how to uh, code on top of Lightning or with Lightning uh, and code Lightning itself. Um, so I think I think we we sort of have this pipeline that 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 we can we can have people. Slow, incrementally join the uh, the development efforts, either as users or as uh, or as uh, node developers themselves, and uh, and it's just it just takes a bit of time until uh, until those the, uh, that harvest can be reaped, right?
5: Yeah, and I, I mean honestly, I think uh, one other thing to draw like a small comparison with Bitcoin is that Lightning has so many like teams working on separate implementations. So, like each of these implementations has the opportunity to like grow and bring in developers into like their own code base and kind of reach out to like different people. So, like there's a team in France and there's one in San Francisco, and Blockstream team is like pretty distributed. Um, I think that's like kind of that global one global nature, and then like really like having um, independent implementations that kind of have their own ability to bring bring people into the project in different languages. I think that's also like a really good kind of driver of bringing people into the community.
3: Also, the community is really nice. Like, you know, it really is. Like, you know, the the devs are really friendly. Everyone's kind of focused on the same thing. It's, and and, and, and there's excitement right around it. It's still that, you know, you you join in as a clueless noob and you're going to get like, you know, a lot of patient people helping you along. And so I think that, that, that helps, right? Um, sometimes people can find the Bitcoin community a bit more, uh, uh, a bit less comfortable, perhaps. And they come across the Lightning community, they go, wow, you people are actually really nice. And, you know, we've, we've kind of explicitly made that a goal, right? We kind of, we don't know what we need, but we're trying to build something that's for everyone. So it'd be really cool if we have that insight and input early on. So people, you know, we get a whole range of different people coming in and kind of contributing and kind of going, okay, because, you know, we're making a payment network and we don't know anything about that. Right. Like I know what payments I make, but I have no idea what payments like other people make and, and what, what they want. So. Um, so, yeah, it's it's been really good to kind of have that that, that community where we're, you know, um, and yeah, we're nice. So. Uh, so, yeah, I think I think that really that really does help. Right. You know, if, if your first idea that you produce to introduce to a community is not like completely rejected and people are nice about it, even if it was a dumb idea, I think that helps encourage you to kind of, you know, maybe this is something I should stick at.
4: Yeah, and it's uh, it's actually nice to to have this sort of meta project that spans the entirety of the Lightning network. Yeah. But very uh, a lot of individual projects that that might follow, might be able to find your niche. You don't like C? Maybe Scala is your thing, or Go is your thing. Uh, Rust. Rust, yeah. Rust yeah. now. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, and there's there's lots of different places you can actually start contributing right now, and and people will welcome you. Uh, yeah.
6: Or even if you're just a, uh, you know, web developer, uh, you can, you know, work with, uh, I think it was Sheshek uh, made yeah. the, the API, you know, like yeah. lightning and stuff like yeah. that. So even if you don't know the systems programming, you can jump in. Yeah. I
4: you wouldn't know. call it just web developers, but because those are really important people as well. Those are actually the people that, that show us what, uh, what, uh, what can be done with it? A web developer. <laughs> we, we, we have we have this very obscure piece of software that that uh, that is yeah. very niche, and then there's people that that actually carry that out by by building stuff on top of it. So so. I I would like to to be more of a web developer, but I definitely don't
3: uh, don't have the knack for for yeah. design and stuff. But that's important. Yeah, it turns out people don't want to like type out command lines on their <laughs> cell phones for some reason. So that web stuff, it's actually yeah, as Christian says, actually turns out to be important. Who knew? It's a very good point.
2: Uh, so on on the topic of like the implementation and the programming language. I thought that it was really interesting that you picked to C as the programming language for C Lightning, um, and I, I'm assuming you picked the name afterwards after you picked the uh, programming language. But uh, the uh, the other thing too is it's it, my my fascination did not stop at the programming language. Uh, when Christian was explaining the architecture of C Lightning uh, at the Hacker Residency, I was fascinated because I. Like my background is, is web development, but I've done a lot of back end and database related things. And um, I, I, I feel like I, I have a, an opinion on software architecture and uh, I found the C Lightning one to be fascinating. Uh, do you want to like briefly describe it and uh, kind of the properties you were going for uh, with that kind of architecture? Oh, it's all microservices
0: through yes. <laughs>
4: <laughs>
2: yeah. yeah.
3: so um uh, i think partially when you're you know so, so 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 for those who are not necessarily programming background you know c is a very old language it's very like you know base level you, you program really low level crazy stuff in it you don't you know uh you don't so much write applications in it these days and so it it's a very strange choice um but um it's also a lowest common denominator language like it'll run everywhere it's it's quite efficient you can run it in your tiny little, little devices um but one of the, the the mitigations for this is that if you can divide things up in so you can isolate things as much as possible um when you screwed up your c code and it crashes at least it doesn't take down the whole thing right and so this was kind of a um maybe if we had better tooling we wouldn't care as much but certainly this idea of isolating things off was was kind of core really early on that um you know and then and, and some of the isolation is more uh um Theoretical than actual, but it's certainly there. We could we could lock down each individual process. So you know um, when you've got one channel, a process is responsible for that, and we can kind of isolate that down um, and prevent it from doing damage to any other channels and stuff like that. So this this was dividing it at this level it has some some real utility, uh, and you get a whole heap of you know. Systems are built to isolate processes from each other, so you can really, you know, um, you can really nail those down to a great extent. Um, you know, there's some overhead in having things divided up that way, but my feeling is that in the long term, that's going to provide us with um, w- with a pretty good security story. Which I think, you know, when you're dealing with money; that's kind of important. So, um, but the reason it's in C is basically. Uh, because I'm a C programmer, and that was like the most natural thing for me to code in. But the, interestingly, the microarchitecture, the way it works is that there's no reason it all has to be in C. We could migrate piece by piece even uh, to a different language. Um, and I think that's, that's to some extent the real test, right? Um, you know, whether we want to support two implementations is another question. But one way of producing your own Lightning implementation is basically take C Lightning and replace one piece at a time. And then eventually you'll end up with the same thing, only in your own your own boutique language. so, uh, And then, then you'd have a working implementation the whole way through, for example. So yeah. I've always thought that would be an interesting project for someone. But yeah, I mean, while it was tempting to go, cool, I should go learn Rust, and this should be my first Rust project, um, I wouldn't inflict that on the world. So uh, that's why it was in C.
4: So the, uh, the uh, I, I guess the security argument was definitely uh, the the initial impulse. But but uh, since then, we've we've come a long way. And the 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 language uh, the language argument for replacing individual parts is is only part of the story, right? Um, it it actually this this modularity allows you to to basically replace individual parts that uh, better suit whatever your own needs are. And uh, and so I I mean we mentioned this uh, this a couple of times before that uh, that we don't pretend that we know the uh, the final answer to all of to all of your needs, and we don't we don't need to with the modular uh, with the modular uh, uh, architecture we can actually give you the tools to uh, build your own uh, your own replacements for the parts that that don't suit you we don't we don't have a uh, we don't have a complex uh, rpc mechanism we don't have an authentication mechanism that's that's all for you to decide how you want to use that um, how you want to optimize what what the use case demands from from uh, from c lightning and by, uh, by making all of these parts swappable, we can, uh, we can give you the power to customize to your needs. And, and we don't push any of our
3: wrong decisions onto you. And, and conversely, we don't have to care about your junk, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yeah,
2: You, you don't um, want to have uh, protobufs and gRPC uh, compiling in with the, the, the prac-
3: macaroons. macaroons and yeah, yeah. so um, yeah. That's I, all cold tech. It was was all very cool. uh, um,
2: It is. I've been enjoying it because I I program in a lot of different languages, and the the two that I've programmed in with Lightning are Python and C Sharp. And automatically generating the client library code for LND was definitely uh, helpful when interacting with their API, especially if you know in C Sharp with types. Um, So there's there's an advantage to that, but I, I realize that there's a maintenance cost to it as well. Um, And so one of the questions we just got from an audience member is, how how were decisions made during the summit? What is accepted? What is deferred, et cetera? How does that process differ from decision making on Bitcoin Core? Were there any
3: disagreements during the summit? Oh, there were definitely disagreements during the summit. Um, But they were all grounded in technical reasons, right? Mm -hmm. Nobody was like, you know... um, Political uh, no. I mean, other than the jokes, which, you know, uh, there's, uh, um, it, it, it was it was very much a, like, you know, um, the, the reasons to oppose something were literally, you know, I, I don't think we should do it that way. I don't think we should do it at all. I don't think we should do it at this level, like, you know, push it up. It's, it's not a lightning problem. We should push it up. Um, I don't think we should do that in 1.1, right? So um, generally, you had to, you know, produce a reason why you wanted to, to either do something else, do it a different way, or maybe push it back and stuff like that. Um, if we didn't have consensus on an issue, we either deferred it or, you know, it, it get pu- gets pushed off. Um, but all the debates were technical, right? So all the, nobody was, um, was, was, you know, it, it was a pretty easy thing to decide when we had consensus on things. So generally, it was like, okay, cool. No one's found any more, you know, we, we've batted this out. We've got like a, a, a an idea that this will work, which was the, you know, the, the key thing. Um, and nobody can think of a better way of doing it. It's in, right? That's acknowledged, right? Um, that doesn't rule out, you know, this is, this is all preliminary. It doesn't rule out someone coming back around. Uh, but, you know, we've got our boilerplates. Where we couldn't reach, where sometimes we reached consensus and the consensus was that, um, we're not going to reach consensus. And if we knew we weren't going to, then it, it basically got deferred. It'll be post 1.1. Um, but then there was the ones who were like, okay, I think we're roughly, you know, we agree it's a good thing. We just have, we're just bogged down over the details. Those literally got deferred. We'll be on list discussion. Um, and they're like the maybes, right? In a lot of cases, everyone wants them, but we're not sure it's technically possible or there's like devil in the details and it's got to really be Examined a lot closer. I mean, for all this stuff, uh, we pretty much we require two interoperable implementations before it goes in the spec, at least nominally, right? So, um, and you learn things when you actually go to implement it. Sometimes you go, "Oh crap, this was this was dumb. Uh, we should have done this a different way." Um, so, you know, nothing's final until you've got to that point where you've got two people have independently implemented it. They've got that to work together. Um, and they haven't proposed any modifications that would have made it way easier or whatever, right? Um, so, so you know, there's a long road. Um, we've got a reasonable idea because we've implemented this stuff before, so there shouldn't be too many surprises. But I guarantee there'll be at least one where somebody will realize we've either specified something that's impossible to implement, or we've done it in like a really dumb way. We've gone, okay, hold on, if we just chosen this way, this would have been, you know, we could remove all this code and, and all these these headaches. So. So, yeah, this is this is the path that we took post Milan is the path we took here. But, yeah, basically, if there were any strong objections, something didn't go in.
2: Awesome. Uh, I think that that answers uh, that question. Oh, well, uh, how do you think? I mean, you you described it, but how do you think it differs from like the Bitcoin decision making process? Do you think that there's like a different um, standard that ideas are held to or anything like that? um
3: it's easier uh easier. <laughs> many
4: many of these uh, things are not are not contingent on a global consensus right we don't we don't there, there's decisions that we can take locally between two peers and we can negotiate between two peers so it's much easier for us to have features that only that only a few implementations uh, support rather than forcing everybody to support it right yeah. so uh for for many of these decisions we we ended up uh, assigning a feature bit and and then saying, okay uh that that is continu- uh, the use of this feature is contingent on a negotiation when we set up this channel. It's only the stuff that that really uh affects multiple hops of a payment or affects a gossip uh that that we really had to agree on uh, on things. Um in, in a binding way, so yeah. to
3: speak. I mean still like if you still really hated the idea and you were like that's just dumb and it's bad for everyone, then you'd oppose it, even though you wouldn't just give out these free feature bits. Cool, you go go do your crazy thing between the two of you. Um, you know, there there's still some pushback if if you really think it's a terrible idea, but there wasn't that. I mean, people are know what they're doing by this stage. We have a network, and we are like, I've got this pain point, it'd be really great if we could do this. And you could see that even if you were like, I don't, it's not gonna be on my roadmap for sea lightning right, for some of these. Like, oh, you know, maybe eventually, but we don't see it as a priority. Um, that's the other thing. Like, there is at least, a, you know, roughly a dozen new feature flags that are going in. Um, and each project will decide which ones are most important, right, um, which ones they may, some of them they may never implement. Some of them, by the time we go to implement, we're like, well, Schnorr's around the corner. Maybe we, you know, maybe we never do that, and we go straight to, like, 2.0. So it'll be individual projects deciding from here.
2: Yeah, and on that note, how good do you think uh, interoperability is between the implementations? So, is it is it safe for an LND node to open a channel with a C Lightning node today?
3: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. That's 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 the standard of the network, right? So they're all interoperable. Um, we find bug reports when there's you know when something doesn't work. Um, so and and you know what happens is it works, and then there's some weird corner case where they disagree um, and. And we get a bug report, and we go back and we figure out. You know, we we finger point a little bit, and we figure out figure out who's wrong and who's right. Um, so I, that process is going to get easier because some of the areas where we find ourselves disagreeing a lot is where you know uh, those are the parts of the spec we hate. So everyone wants to, get, you know, everyone wants to deprecate those and we can go on with the new ones. So yeah, uh, we've generally been pretty good. Christian has a uh, uh, an interoperability tester that will be. Get a lot more activity on it uh, with the, with the new rev of the spec yeah, as, we, as should, we implement all those. So. Should run that more often. Yeah, it should be automated. Christian, you should be on that. Yeah. yeah. So, so yeah, uh, definitely. I mean, this this is key for all the implementations um, to 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 interoperate uh, as highly as possible.
2: Sounds like you should bring a test engineer onto the team to to be running that.
3: Oh, if someone, if someone likes testing, then, you know, uh, we would love to talk to them. because you Send know, your resume to Blockstream. Yeah, that's right. Well, send it to any of the Lightning, Lightning teams, actually, with Async, Lightning Labs, and Blockstream. Yeah. Because all of us, you know, uh, particularly on the spec side, right? Um, there are some test vectors in the spec, but we would love to really flesh that out. And it's one of the, you know, it's really important, but it's never critically urgent. So uh, right. it's, it's on everyone's to-do
4: list. Oh, and and another call to arms maybe is, uh, I mean, we we wrote the spec and we're really deep into the matter, uh, and and so there there's parts we might not see, we might not be seeing the forest for all the trees, yeah. um, and so so new fresh eyes that take a look at at the the specification and sort of wait a minute that doesn't make sense or. Why, uh, how there's there's a, a link missing in this in this description yeah that that's yes. really useful feedback and and would help us a lot to to sort of improve the quality of,
3: of, of the specifications. How many well? pull requests did you put in, Lisa, and when we, you first like read through the... I three or four, I Yeah. think. Like, yeah, so Lisa went edits, through the spec from but... start to finish when she started the block stream, and, yeah, pretty much yeah, just yeah. sent, like, these waves of, of, mm-hmm. of just clarifications, fix-ups, stuff like that. Yeah, I think
5: they're all called, like, readability edits. Yeah. it's not anything for the spec. It's just, like, oh, this isn't readable, really.
3: Yeah, right. sometimes, like, we knew it so well, we didn't describe it well.
5: Yeah. That's great. And yeah. I, I want to
2: emphasize to our audience that... Um, they they might not be developers themselves, but if they can think logically and they can go read mastering Bitcoin and then start working their way through the existing uh, specs, they're 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 very, as you're saying, like human readable, like they're not uh, they're not pseudocode even uh, they're they are English. And you just have to think logically, uh, does it make sense? And uh, you don't necessarily have to uh, have a computer science degree to because it's it's not And it's not advanced math or anything. Uh, and so I, mm-hmm. I hope that even people who are non-developers can contribute and be thinking about these specs.
3: Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And, um, you know, you get to find out, like, the um, the theme song and stuff like that. Is in there,
5: so. A lot of Easter eggs, yeah. Yeah, there are and, a few Easter eggs. I mean, honestly, that's one of the things about Lightning that I think makes it a lot easier to get into than Bitcoin is that, like... So I read Mastering Bitcoin maybe, again... Like March April um that was kind of like my first really intro to Bitcoin and then the nice thing about lightning is that it does have specs so like if you go and you start trying to read the Bitcoin bips like good luck I mean they're not (laughs) like they're kind of organized around theme but like the numbers don't really mean anything really and like they're not even like sequential like you can't read them start for finish and get an idea of like how the Bitcoin bips like evolved over time because that doesn't work um Whereas, like, Lightning, like, the whole thing is, like, in these spec documents, right? Like, um, because it started with, like, three different implementations in Milan, like, coming together and, like, different teams trying to, like, had to agree, right? Because these nodes have to, like, interoperate. Like, they wrote this, like, spec that's, like, this is how we're going to, like, agree to, like, operate. Um, It makes it, like, yeah, like you said, you can just, like, you can read through it and figure out what's
3: going on for the most part. Plus, yeah. some of the specs are really cool. You should. You should it. it's like, there's some stuff in there that's like, you know, that's really clever. Like, you know, oh, in retrospect it makes yeah. sense, but you really go, oh yeah, it's like, yeah, that's because we bled over this for quite a while. Sometimes, like, you know, cut ourselves on sharp corners yeah, and kind of worked the them out. And and so, in some places, I'm actually happy to say the spec is actually pretty, pretty damn good.
4: Yeah, there, there there's still some tribal knowledge in all of this that, that isn't written down, but not as much as, as in Bitcoin. Like, what the hell is and, Wombo? And and our goal <laughs> is definitely to reduce that tribal knowledge as much as possible and, yeah. and write it out and spell it out for, for people to be able to follow along and actually... Yeah. So that this, this whole document makes sense. Yeah,
3: that's a huge contribution, as you said. Like, somebody just, you know, general knowledge in the area kind of reads through it and goes, this doesn't make sense. That's good feedback, too. Now,
2: if, if they are a developer, they can take it to the next level and implement them in their favorite language, uh, whatever it is, or or as a means of learning a new language. I think that's also a, a good exercise, at the very least, even if you're not going to fully implement a, a Lightning node, it's, uh, it's yeah.
3: good. Start, start backwards. Start with Bolt 11 and work your way backwards if you're going to implement in your toy language to start with. Because um, that's a nice chunk by itself, like decode an invoice, you know, mm-hmm. do that stuff. But yeah, uh, absolutely. If only there were a client that allows you to swap out individual parts.
4: <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Christian. That was my nice spot. <laughs> so I'm I'm really looking forward to to getting my hands dirty on Rust uh, and yeah. learning Rust by doing Lightning Dev. Yeah. Uh,
2: before we close out the episode, do you guys have any other? Uh, uh, an hour already flew by. We're like at an hour and a half. This is going to be the longest episode of our podcast that we have released uh, in the history, which is 33 <laughs> episodes, I think. Um, and uh, I guess part of it was driven that we had three people instead of one, which is awesome. And I, I think that we should do this more often. I, I didn't realize how well it would work to have uh, a round table. Um, so uh, do you have any other call to actions uh, of uh, people to to go check out see lightning on GitHub? Uh, go see the Lightning RFC, um, which is the uh, th- the specification we're talking about on GitHub as well, and we'll put those links in the show notes, of course.
3: Yeah,
6: uh, yeah.
4: Check check out the other implementations and uh, come join us. We have cookies. <laughs> yeah.
3: yeah, I guess um, I, we're we're like heads down at the moment, kind of you know planning the next releases and stuff. It's 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 a pretty exciting time to 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 leap in. So. I would would definitely encourage you. If this is something you're interested in, then you know um, we're having so much fun that you should definitely definitely join us.
2: What What are the uh, different implementations and their language that they're written in, so that people kind of you know ha- have a, an idea of maybe where they would want to first go?
4: Oh, we should link them from the RFC to make them more findable. Oh yeah. yeah. But, so there's uh, there's Eclair in Scala by Asank. There's uh, c Lightning in C from, well, Blockstream and Community. There's uh, LND in Go from Lightning Labs and Community. And then there's uh, uh, Ptarmigan from uh, Nayuta. Mm-hmm. That's a, a Japanese company. It's written in C.
3: I thought it was C, but there's been some debate over this. But yeah. Yeah.
4: <laughs> and then there's uh, Rust Bitcoin by Matt and others
3: in rust and yeah that's still early stages right he's building he's building like a set of pieces that you can build stuff out of so um not all the pieces are there yet but uh, that's an ongoing effort so if you're like you're if you're a rustation is that the, the term yeah. yeah then then you know that's um and it's kind of cool because you almost whatever you're into you can go and uh and and, and find something to, to to work on in this space
2: yeah, and if you if, if one of those languages listed did not meet your uh, what what your favorite language is, and you don't want to implement your own implementation, all of these have interfaces that you can program against in any other programming language. Um, and you know, I I'm 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 preferable to uh, LND, but someone could actually write the same gRPC API and make a clone that is compatible and make it for C Lightning or for any other implementation. So I hope yeah. that I'm giving someone an idea here uh, that they could follow through on that. that. I would have
3: linked someone to have someone produce a Rosetta Stone of like APIs for the different ones because they all evolved independently, but they're kind of similar. So yeah. it would be nice to have a cheat sheet where you can kind of map them
4: across. And I mean, there's there's stuff in there for everybody, right? There's even people ri- uh, writing
2: plugins for Excel, I heard. <laughs> 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 that's right um, so before we close the episode I actually wanted to uh, ask you what we should have started the episode with which is what are your backgrounds how did you get interested in Bitcoin and Lightning uh, and then uh, we'll, we'll part ways I promise <laughs> who are you people that we were talking to
6: Yeah,
4: <laughs> I'm an
2: number uh,
4: person number four <laughs> <laughs> so, um, uh, who wants to go first Floyd? yeah So, uh, hi, I'm Christian. Um, my background is I, I, I first read the paper in uh, 2009, got interested because I was doing a master's in, in distributed computing, uh, later started, uh, started doing a PhD on Bitcoin and it became what the first Bitcoin PhD, I think. And I've, I've joined Blockstream afterwards, because my sort of the, the later part of my PhD was basically on a on Layer 2 protocols. And, and I got the opportunity to continue working on that. Yeah. Cool.
3: Um, so
5: Yeah. Um, I got into, let's see, I've been a long time kind of Android app developer. Started moving towards more system stuff a few years ago. Um, I started getting into Bitcoin earlier this year. When I started, I joined a large company that had a custodial wallet that they were managing in Java, doing Bitcoin stuff, um, and then found Rusty through the internet um, randomly and got involved with Lightning that way.
3: Yeah. So, and also works at Blockstream.
5: Yeah, work at Blockstream. Um,
3: yeah. So, I guess I'm Rusty. I've, you know, I've been a professional open source developer for like. 21 years now, so that's my background mainly the Linux kernel dev. Um, but I was always interested in all these other open source projects popping up, and so when Bitcoin came across my radar in like you know 2011, I guess, um, it's kind of like this this is a cool kind of project, and I very much came at it from like the engineering project side. Um, and I think as it became more interesting and kind of the Linux is kind of a solved problem feeling, um, I thought, well. This will be fun. Uh, and my wife said, I'm much nicer to live with when I'm working on something I'm passionate about. So she's like, you should go to do this. And I'm like, you sure? Because, you know, this magic internet money may evaporate and then I'll be back looking for a job again. But she was really supportive. And so... Uh, yeah, I took a sabbatical and worked on this this side chain that we talked about, um, and then Blockstream approached me, and because they dropped the sidechain paper right at the end of my sabbatical, and I was like, "You assholes! If you'd done that at the beginning of my sabbatical, I would have." This is what I was trying to write. I mean, you did it way better. So we got talking, um, and then I, I joined there, and and they, I was thinking this is really cool. I get to work on C++ again. I'll get to hack with some like Bitcoin core developers on Bitcoin, and I'll be the new kid. It'll be awesome. And Greg Maxwell turned around to me and said, because the Lightning paper had dropped just like a couple of weeks before I'd started. And, um, and you wrote that blog post. And I wrote, so I'd written a blog post kind of breaking down the paper and just explaining it to people. And Greg Maxwell turned around to me and said, oh, we decided you should go work on Lightning. And I was kind of like, oh, I, you know, I'd, I'd read up on my C++. I was all ready to like become like a Bitcoin core developer. Uh, and they pointed me over there. But, but the opportunity was too good, right? It was just like, this was green fields. There was a paper out there about Lightning, but no one was implementing it. And so I went, this, this has to exist. Um, so that's how I got got into Lightning. And then, yeah, um, still doing it. And after like a, a year or so, I finally gave up my last Linux kernel uh, maintenance, I handed that over. So after that, I was like fully committed. So hopefully this works.
2: Yeah. Well, well listeners should know that that Linux kernel, we'll see. Yeah. Well,
6: listeners should know that uh, Rusty not only has received Linux developer
2: awards, uh, but even has... Did we just drop out? Yeah, I just lost Michael's audio. That was perfect timing. Yeah, <laughs> it's just <laughs> killing me. What else has Rusty gotten? Michael, are you back on? Yeah, can you hear me? my My internet connection is yeah. rather poor.
6: Uh, well, I was saying that like not only has Rusty uh, received Linux Developer Awards, there's even one named after him. Wow. Yeah, the Rusty Red
3: Award is. Uh, it's. It's a yeah. It's. Um, it's a it's a Linux developer uh, sorry it's a, it's an open source like contribution uh, award uh, in Australia for people who who got in and like did the hard work right uh, so hence the wrench right and it's literally a rusty wrench on like the stand um, so it has occasionally been used to fix things that's a genuine rusty wrench so yeah that's a thing um, it's awarded at the the annual uh, Linux conference every year uh, that I founded back in '99 so. Uh, so, yeah, That's it exists. For your service. Yeah, it's like, hold on. Isn't that the kind of thing you're supposed to do when you, someone retires? You're supposed <laughs> to give them, like, a service award? It's like, hold on, I'm not, I'm not dead yet. Give them a watch. Yeah. yeah.
4: yeah. So next up, the lightning battery, uh, the rusty battery. <laughs> development.
2: Yeah. If you touch it, it really shocks you. that would be yeah. good. All right, I really enjoyed this. Uh, this was uh, a fantastic episode. We learned a lot. And we hope to have you all back on very soon. I think that we scratched the surface on a lot of things, and we didn't even talk about others. So uh, it's just an exciting new universe that's uh, being built. And we were really happy that you guys made the, the time. I know you're all very busy, and uh, you're, you're you know probably brimming with ideas after this summit. So uh, I'll let you get
3: back to hacking. <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you. Thank Thank you so much for having us. Ciao. Bye-bye.
4: Hi, I'm Chris, as I said like three times before. Um, And I'll be talking about the history of Lightning and history of off-chain protocols or layer two or you name it, whatever you want. Um, I like to call them off-chain because it doesn't imply a hierarchy of layers, but uh, I'll, I'll use all the three terms interchangeably anyway. Um, I, I like to have interactive presentations, so if you have if you have any questions, please don't hesitate, just ask. Uh, I don't care if we can't make it through the, the entire slide set. I, for me, it's important to actually give you a better understanding of, of what what happens. And if we don't get to the later slides, that's totally fine as well. Okay. So before we can talk uh, before we can talk about the history of Lightning and off chain protocols, uh, we probably need to first see what all the deal is about in the first place. Um, what are off-chain protocols? Uh, off-chain protocols are usually systems in which you have sort of a, a couple of users using uh, using data on a blockchain and managing it uh, uh, without touching the blockchain itself until the very last minute. So what, uh, what we do is we have this, we have this, uh, Sort of example of data that is on a blockchain: we have Alice, Bob, and Carol. Each have five bitcoins on their account. And now, Alice and Bob want to open a an off-chain contract, a, a payment channel. And what they do is basically they lock some of the state of the blockchain uh, so that they can uh, they cannot use uh, they cannot modify that state unilaterally anymore. And then they start. They go into a separate room, basically, and start discussing on how they how they split or how to settle this, uh, this state in the end. So the uh, the initial state, which I re- represent with this scroll here, is basically the same as we had on chain, right? Alice has five bitcoins, and Bob has five bitcoins. And now we can start interacting, and we can, for example, transfer one bitcoin from Alice to Bob, changing the balances and we have this transaction which basically represents the final state of this, uh, of this transfer. Then we can go ahead and transfer some more from Alice to Bob, and uh, uh, we can even transfer some back. And eventually, we, uh, we're happy with, uh, with what happened. One of us wants to leave, one of us has disappeared, but we want to reflect these changes that we discussed off-chain back onto the blockchain. So what we do is basically we send the state back to the blockchain, the blockchain sees, uh, sees the desired state, um, uh, removes the old state, and applies the new state to it. What's important here is that these intermediate states are always aggregates of multiple, uh, multiple individual states. So as, a, uh, as we've seen before, when transferring phi, uh, one Bitcoin to uh, from Alice to Bob, we transfer the, the final state was four and six, and then we transferred three more and the final state was one and nine. So uh, sort of this, this association between the individual transfers gets lost when reapplying it uh, to, the, uh, to the Bitcoin blockchain. It's, all, uh, it's also important to see that in order to, for this contract to be uh, on the right to be, all, uh, to be able to be reflected on the Bitcoin blockchain, we need to have this in, in the form of a, uh, of a transaction. Because that's the only thing that the Bitcoin blockchain, the only operation that the Bitcoin blockchain will understand and will let you uh, will let you execute. So this is the very simple concept and uh, what we what we actually need for this to work is we need some way of, uh, of updating the state, of basically making sure that we agree on uh, what the current state is and what it would look like if, if we were to go on chain. Um, and the one really important issue with this is that if I'm Alice, I like this state because I have six, uh, six bitcoins, whereas initially I had like five, right? If I'm Bob, I like this state much more. In this state, I have nine and Alice has one. So we need some way of, uh, of making sure that the older states are not applicable to the blockchain anymore. And that's what, uh, what I usually call an update mechanism, and that's the core issue that we're trying to solve in all of these off-chain protocols. How do we renegotiate something off the blockchain and make sure that only the latest agreed-upon state is actually enforceable on the blockchain and you can't cheat and go, uh, go back. There's a little bit more uh, around, uh, uh, around the... Um, uh, there's a little bit more supporting infrastructure for, uh, for off-chain protocols uh, but this is really the core issue. Okay. So I'll be mostly talking about update mechanisms and uh, see how they evolved over time. So, update mechanisms. Does anybody have a guess what the first update mechanism is going to be that I'm presenting? What could be the first one? Ah, oh, you. You actually got it right. So the first ever replacement or update mechanism that was in Bitcoin was already in the source code released by Satoshi himself, the sequence numbers. Uh, this is actually not Satoshi's code. This is as far back on GitHub as I could go. This is from, uh, from series M, uh, a commit in August tw- uh, 2009, but it's, I think it's the same. I couldn't go back any further. So the idea with the sequence numbers is basically we create a transaction, we send it out there, and then we create a new transaction that replaces this transaction, and we hope that miners will replace it. Uh, but the issue of course is miners do not have any incentive and if if I'm cheating, I could even go, uh, go to the miners and say, hey, if you confirm this transaction, I'll give you a cut of 25% or so. Uh, so you can actually incentivize uh, miners to behave against this, uh, this protocol and, the, uh, and worse, uh, w- uh, even worse is that you can't even prove that a miner misbehaved because he could just say no I didn't see any updates before I mined my block uh, uh, because if you could you could actually uh, hold the miners host- uh, hostage anyway so N sequence numbers are cute they don't work and it's the reason why we, uh, why we repurposed this field a number of times uh, in the meantime for other purposes, uh, which actually makes the semantics of the end sequence field really hard to grasp. OK. So the first actually working uh, 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 payment channel implementation or off-chain protocol is what's called the simple micropayment channel by Spielmann et al. Uh, Actually, I'm not sure about the date. Uh, this idea has been floating around Bitcoin talk forever before, and I think Spielmann was was the first one to actually put it in words. That made sense. Um, but that's that's always the issue with the Bitcoin space and the Lightning space. Somebody has always proposed it before you. Uh, you're never going to be the first one. And then you publish a paper, and everybody says, yeah, no, that's, that's this old idea from 2011. Uh, yeah. OK, so the simple micropayment uh, channel is, uh, is simple. Um, it basically starts off with a green user and a blue user. Um, the green user puts up five bitcoins and transfers them into a shared output uh, uh, owned by both the green user and the blue user. And the color of the, uh, of the dot actually represents who has control over it. So in this case, uh, we need signatures from both the green user and the blue user to actually spend those funds. What does this do? It basically prevents me, if I'm the green user, from pulling out the funds below the contract without giving the, uh, uh, without giving the other side the control. It's basically just me putting up ten bucks on the counter and as long as these ten bucks are on the counter, both me and the barman, we have control over it and I can't pull them away and try to sneak them away. Okay, now we need some form of state representation and that's, as I said, is going to be a transaction. So we have a setup transaction which creates this uh, this, uh, this, uh, this channel and we have a, uh, a settlement transaction that represents the cumulative state of all of our intermediate tra- transfers. In this case, I just get my five bit back, and the other party gets nothing. At this point, I sign it, well, I'll drop those dots in the future because this is the only part where signatures are important. So the green party signs it and gives this half signed transaction over to the blue party. The blue party now has two options. This transaction is incomplete. They could add their own signature, completing this transaction and publishing it into the Bitcoin network. Or they can put it into their back pocket and say, yeah, I don't know. He set up a channel. Maybe he wants to pay me. Uh, so blue user just uh, just keeps it in his back pocket. And now we actually go and confirm this first transaction. So I'll always use the lock to represent uh, stuff that is on-chain and the, uh, the box without lock in there to, to represent uh, uh, floating transaction, or a transaction that we haven't confirmed just yet. Okay, now we've set up the channel. Uh, we can actually go ahead and transfer some. So in this case, I transfer the, the blue user, the green user, transferred one bitcoin to the blue user, creating a new settlement transaction. Again, signing it. I can't do anything with it because the blue signature is missing. But I'm handing it over to the blue user. The blue user again has the option: okay, do I sign it, or maybe there's more coming. And most cases, they will actually hold uh, hold on to it and, and say, "Yeah, maybe maybe some, uh, something else is coming up." So, indeed, we do this a few more times, and eventually, we have uh, this final state. The blue user now sees, "Okay, I, I need this money. I have to get it now." Or the green user disappeared, and yeah, I don't want to wait for him to come back. Uh, so what the blue user does is it takes the transaction that had, that gave him the most funds adds a signature to it and broadcasts it in the, in the Bitcoin network uh, And Eventually, this is going to be confirmed So this is a very simple uh, payment channel that is uh, that that is uh, um, That has been implemented a number of times we have we have actually built some uh, some prototypes of uh, access points being paid using these uh, Coke machines that would dispense uh, using these uh, micropayment channels and so on and so forth. Yeah? But is there any
1: mechanism to avoid the other counterparty that the
4: So uh, you mean the blue party disappearing or the green party disappearing? one. Okay. Well, actually,
1: because you start with only the green guy initially funds and obviously Yes.
4: Okay, so so that's a very good point. What happens if people disappear? So the easy case is when green disappears, blue can just take one of these transactions, sign it, and send it off. Uh, If in the initial state, or any state in between, the blue party disappears, then we have a problem, right? Because, well, the green party does not have any way of recovering those funds for this uh, for this case we create an additional transaction that is time locked that would refund basically the entirety of, of the funds to the to the green user basically forcing the blue party to either close or stay active and
1: this was part of this suggestion
4: yes so I, the reason i left it out is because it adds more complexity and, and it's really ugly it also it also ha- gives your channels a fixed lifetime which is as as soon as you denominate some some limit of how long this way this can stay active, it sort of gets ugly. And but we other we other had this this refund transaction that, that would actually the work. Another
1: annoying uh, question, like um, does this depend on the amount of data to fix? Like I think it is just to the amount of data fix. So given the, re- the refund transaction, does it depend on the amount of data yes. fix?
4: So so the refund transaction had had this reliance on a malleability fix because it would need to be created before this one could be confirmed so you had a transaction that was unconfirmed and you had a refund transaction that was also unconfirmed and the refund transaction was referencing the unconfirmed transaction here this one could be malleated and thus uh detaching this this refund transaction that, that's that's an ugly thing indeed yes you could. Work around it with off CSV and stuff, but it's also. But that's the main reason why Altcoin never this picture. Because you
1: want to basically spend a transaction
4: before it was confirmed. Yes. So 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 all of all of the malleability fixes are always pertaining to I have some transaction that is not confirmed, i.e., it can still change, and I want to build on to bolt on transactions onto that one. So that's indeed the core problem we have with malleability. Uh, when it comes to off chain protocols. Okay. So, uh, simple is good, but is it good enough? Um, anybody see a problem with this? Well, I know you already saw part of this. There doesn't uh, seem
2: to be a mechanism for blue descent.
4: Yes. So, the the issue really is that these are unilateral channels. You can only ever. If you're the green party, you can only ever send, and the blue party can only ever receive. Why is that? Because the blue, will all, uh, the blue party will always be incentivized to use the latest, the, uh, the state that gave them the most funds. And so, uh, yeah, we can create a, a, a settlement transaction that transfers some funds back to green, but why would blue ever use that one? Because it gives them less funds in the system, so meh. In so indeed, I, uh, I used to call this uh, replacement by incentive, because Blue is always incentivized to use the latest state. Uh, if he misbehaved, he would basically give back more money than he should have, but I mean, he's at fault, so that's OK. OK, so uh, this is a simple mechanism. Um, it worked for some, uh, for some uh, things. Uh, but one major drawback is that all of these funds can only ever use one uh, be, uh, be used once. So it's basically like uh, like credit card where I charge uh, that I charge at the uh, at the beginning of the month and then I can just spend it. And once I've uh, I've reached my limit, well then I can throw away the card. Uh, there's no reuse of funds multiple times. Okay, so. What we came up with in, uh, in 2015 is uh, what's, uh, what's called a duplex microfinement channel, and that's really a system uh, which allows you to transfer back and forth multiple times. Did you
1: actually come hmm? up with you published it in 2015.
4: Yes, yeah, so uh, uh, I think it was around Christmas that I had the core idea, and... uh 2014, and then we we wrote the paper, which is always a long process, and then we submitted it. It was under review for four months, and in the meantime, the Lightning Labs guys published their paper. So, I had a, I had a really exciting long weekend trying to understand what they do because the Lightning paper is really hard to gra- uh, to grok. And in the end, it had so much so much overlap that I decided, yeah, let's forget about duplex micro payment channels. We'll just Jump on the big bandwagon there. There's quite some much on there. Uh, but the reason I'm uh, I'm uh, I'm showing it here is basically that it's also rather simple, uh, even if limited, um, and it gets us go, uh, gets us uh, closer to what uh, to what lightning actually does. So what do we have here is we have again the uh, the setup transaction uh, being confirmed on the blockchain, and then we have a representation of our state uh, that spends this uh, this uh, this uh, funding output, and basically apply, uh, uh, and basically represents the aggregate of all interactions we had in between. If you're wondering what this t equals 100 means, that's a time long. That basically means uh, well, it's a simplified time. Um, this basically means that this transaction will only be valid at day 100. So we set up this transaction, uh, let's say, at day zero, and then we have to wait 100 days for this transaction to be valid, and then we can settle. So how do we do replacements? Well, we create a new settlement transaction that is valid slightly before that one. So that means that in the time between uh, day 99 and day 100, only this new transaction is valid and if we can uh, if we can make sure that during this one day period we can actually have this transaction confirm on chain then the old state with q 100 is basically is effectively replaced and we can do that a number of times and and as you can see it, it basically counts down to towards today so this is Sort of uglyish, but also ugly in the in the sense that uh, now I have to wait like 96 days to get my funds back. That's that's really bad. The solution here is to, uh, to have to differentiate between a collaborative close and and a unilateral close. So in the unilateral close, all I have is uh, both parties have a copy of this transaction. The other guy goes away. So now they uh, so now I have to wait like. 96 days for it to confirm, but I will get my fund back. And in a collaborative close, we actually have the this, uh, this system where you and I agree that, uh, um, that we want to close this channel, that this is the final state. So let's just sign a copy without a time lock and be happy. So if we, if, we, uh, if we do a collaborative close, we can create this transaction, which is valid immediately, and we can settle the channel without having to wait at all, and everybody's happy. Um, one of the important parts here is that unlike in the simple micropayment channels, here the state is symmetric here I don't have this guy signs first and this, sign, uh, this guy signs later, uh, I hold a half complete transaction, you hold a full complete transaction, in this case we're always dealing with fully complete transaction, fully signed transactions and this will be important again with lightning ok So we can have this collaborative close, and we'll just settle it. And now for the one that everybody has been waiting for, um, the lightning penalty mechanism, as I like to call it. Uh, Lightning penalty is asymmetric again, which is why I emphasized that before. So we have uh, uh, some data that only the blue participant knows, some data that only the green participant knows. And the security of this protocol relies on the green part, participant not learning anything from the blue part, and the blue part, uh, the blue participant never learning anything of the green part. So, if you ever try to do a backup on Lightning, that's why. Okay. So what we do is basically we, uh, instead of creating one settlement transaction, we create two identical ones with one little difference uh, in here namely that this output that, uh, that, the, uh, that goes to the blue participant and is known but to the blue is encumbered with a bit of a poison. Um, and I'll show you how to use that in a second. So we have these, uh, these initial states, 4 and 1, 4 and 1, and they are married. So now we want to create a new update, uh, 3 and 2, 3 and 2, and we run into the usual problem, right? How can we ensure that this is the only version of, uh, of, the, uh, of the off-chain contract that will be enforced, and this one can't? So as I mentioned before, um, the outputs that are known by the blue participant and go to the blue participant, or the green participant and go to the green participant, are encumbered a little bit. And the way we use that is basically we give, when, uh, when the uh, blue participant wants to convince the green participant that no, I'm not going to use this transaction, what they do is basically they hand a transaction that, uh, that steals their funds, they hand that transaction to the green participant, name, uh, basically saying, hey, if I ever publish this transaction, feel free to, to steal my funds. And the same goes for the other side. In this case, the green participant could use this transaction uh, to get four Bitcoins here. So it creates a a punishment transaction that takes these funds and rewires them to go to to the blue participant. And then he sends this transaction over to uh, to the green participant, basically saying, hey, if I ever misbehave, if I ever try to, to confirm this transaction, which I promised you that I wouldn't, feel free to punish me. And we can do that several times. So in this case, we've just updated to four and one. And again, we've poisoned the old transactions in such a way that if, if they ever leak on chain, then we're going to die. And the nice part about this is this is going, uh, this can go on indefinitely um that's a huge advantage compared to duplex micropayment channels so duplex micropayment channels had a limited time uh, time life Uh, the reason for this is because we were counting down time locks towards today and we when we've reached today there is nothing we can do we had a bit of a workaround there uh, with a invalidation tree and because that's the go-to place for computer scientists to, to find their solution. It doesn't work. Let's use a trade. <laughs> um, yeah. It, it wasn't that much. OK. But this is basically lightning penalty. This is the most complex uh, update mechanism I have to present here today. So are there any questions? Are, is everybody a lightning expert? And I'm wasting my breath. Yeah. Are
0: you, you? <laughs> going talk. uh, to talk about Yes. Okay.
4: That one. Oh,
1: um <laughs> then uh does the whole and kind of heard you say before that you think it's a bad model to so like analyze uh, so string you know, people like, um, Yes. um are you gonna get into that in the healthier talk whatever, uh I, I
4: I can uh I can basically um okay. what are the tri like, why do you feel that way? Like what are the trade-offs there? So so w one step back. In this case we are actually punishing the, the misbehaving party, right? We are not. If uh, if we um, if, for example, the green uh, the blue participant publishes this transaction, it's not it's not enforcing the latest state we uh, we agreed upon, but it enforces that yes, green gets his money back and some more, and blue gets nothing. So this is, this is why I call it LN penalty and why, uh, why everybody is like, hooray, cheaters are going, are, are going to be hit on the head. Um, I don't quite like the penalty model because uh, I had some really awkward situations where um, people were backing up stuff and then restoring nodes. And then it's really easy. If you, if you forget anything of this happened and you restore this state, then it's not your fault, but you're going to cheat. Even even if you reestablish contact with the the other party and say, hey, by the way, I have this state, the other party can say, whoa, that's really old. Yeah, yeah, you go publish that. You go ahead and do that. And uh, so there is this sort of deadlock where I can't do anything. uh, And if I do something, then I'm going to be uh, punished. And that actually happened to me Uh, while at Core here in in New York. I was sitting in the middle of the room, and I was like, yeah, I'll just restore this node quickly. I'm sure I've uh, I've, uh, stopped it before taking the update. And suddenly, in the middle of the room, you hear me crying out because uh, because I was like, what the fuck happened here? And it turns out um, uh, the node was not shut down. And I reconnected, and the other side actually said, yeah, yeah, you go ahead, publish that one. You'll be fine. Uh, I wasn't.
1: But, so if they you true, you have not the same problem, but similar problems,
4: you? have a similar problem. If
1: you publish an old state, and you don't know all the newer states, the other side pick up the new state that is like most beneficial to them. Yes. Like a state, Yes, is. yes. But. So, so still it's a problem. Like it still not enforces the other party to make, to 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 get to the actual state. Yes. Because that's what you said before. That the problem is that you don't recover the actual state. It's exactly. The
4: state. So the advantage here is uh, with, with L2 is that I actually can outsource all of this. Uh, it's not, uh, it's not me. Uh, well, I'll, I'll get to that later when, when I'm actually talking about this. Uh, so. But what, what I don't like about the penalty mechanism is that, that it's really, even, even for, it it makes stuff really hard. Uh, if, if you backup stuff, we've had loads of people that were using the Google backup from a clear, and were like, oh, I can, I can replicate this node multiple times and run it on my phone and my laptop and my, my, uh, my tablet. And then they were like, what, what just happened? Because they were using it co- concurrently, and they were Backing it up to Google Drive and then restoring it and then okay, that's it's just really bad. Yeah.
0: I'm a very first
1: opener. I've had uh, seven
4: breach closes. You had seven breach closes. Yeah. Where's
1: In
4: in your favor
1: or? Yeah.
4: Oh, Okay. Yeah. So so you. <laughs> <laughs> it becomes really annoying because then I have to uh, see whether I've done the best complaining,
1: Oh, I uh, backed up my wall that I painted. Yeah.
4: So it, it, it also makes the whole state machine really complex when you're implementing this. Uh, we had this one issue, uh, I think with uh, René, um, where um, the other side misbehaved and we stole their funds uh, but forgot about our, our own funds. <laughs> uh, so so that's, that's a really fun corner case to try to debug um, and it took forever to actually find it. So uh, the more complex the state machine is, the more blocks you will have, basically.
1: Yes? So basically, you need to keep like, a sequence of all the secrets that their corresponding states, and if you want to have multiple devices, you need to have the same state
4: Yes. So so having, having multiple devices, you would probably prefer to open multiple channels uh, that are not shared among devices or you need to remote or having one device be a slave to the other and the other one is actually running the nodes yeah, um, yeah sharing states among uh, among multiple nodes is really bad um, and it makes this really painful sorry uh, yes so uh, what, what you can do is uh, there is uh, there is two things in, uh, that I'll talk about later. Uh, L2 actually allows you to have multipart channels, because this asymmetry which you have here is, is no longer there. And uh, there is also a proposal called, uh, uh, well, two proposals. One is Perun, uh, which is some Nordic god of lightning. Um, and I'll always pronounce it with a Spanish accent, which makes it super weird. Um, uh, that that allows you to have virtual channels that uh, that map to real channels, uh, or uh, you can have channel factories, which are basically bigger groups that then bootstrap channels off of uh, off of this this larger group. Okay.
1: Yeah. yeah. Another question: well, Are you aware of like other projects uh, with of...
4: Um, so I'm aware of a few uh, few projects that go into that direction. Uh, one, of course, is Raiden, which is a one-to-one, uh, one-to-one clone of uh, lightning, basically. And I had fun giving lecture at Stanford. I had really uh, a lot of fun uh, half an hour before the lecture started, recreating the smart contract for, for Raiden, and it's 20 lines so that's like three and a half million dollars of funding per line um, really good value um and there's of course the whole uh state channels uh is it called state channels in, in Ethereum? um but there's there there there's a Sprites. Hmm? no sprites sprites is a mechanism to to uh to, uh to ensure the timely settlement of payments uh but uh, state channels is uh, yeah, state chains is the one in bitcoin and state channels is the one in ethereum uh, where they basically have uh, arbitrary uh, contracts running over off-chain protocols and then reflecting that state back onto the onto the blockchain itself and it's really fun because Perun is uh, is basically uh, was created for these state, cha- state channels and they were like yeah no way this is going to work on bitcoin and yes it's working so Treat Ethereum like like a testnet and uh, backport whatever is useful. Okay, and let's go on to uh, to L2. L2 is uh, is a proposal that we uh, that we created or published earlier this year, um, and and I like to think it's easier than Lightning, but we'll see about that. Okay, so we have the usual setup uh, thingy, and then we have a settlement transaction. This time it's not, uh, uh, I drew it below here, and if you can see the small clock, basically means that uh, this uh, the, this transaction is time-locked. Uh, so what we do is basically we create the setup transaction and we immediately create the settlement zero. And the settlement zero just gives back the money to the green participant. And we encumber this transaction using a time-lock. So basically, this settlement will become valid after, let's say, day. Okay. If nothing else happens, well, Green gets his money back and we're done. Now if we want to do an update, we basically just create what's called an update transaction, update1, that takes this output and creates a new output that has exactly the same structure. And we attach a new settlement 1 to it which reflects the new state. So we just transferred one Bitcoin from green to blue. Uh, we've invalidated this by uh, by double spending it. So this is no longer valid because the update basically just spent this one. And yeah, that's how updates work in L2. You can do that a number of times again. So. Update two uh, uh, activate settlement two. Settlement one is discarded, and so on and so forth. That's basically the whole the whole Yes. How does it? You know, it's a double spend on chain if you're matching ones. Yes. So I didn't mention this, but you can actually replay the entirety of this protocol on chain, which makes it really easy to uh, really easy to visualize. We can actually do this interactively on chain.
1: Um, so
4: in here, we have 24 hours to uh, create an update, and then the update gives us another 24 hours. Uh, and if we, if we update in time,
1: then we get another 24 hours, and so on and so forth. So in particular, what you could do is your timer runs out you don't have need to just make an update with the same state here.
4: Yes. So, so we, could, we could just refresh the timer by, by having a dummy update. Um, anybody see an issue with this? shitloads of transactions Um, so indeed for every state update we actually have one transaction so we could just have done this on chain as well Uh, so what we do is now we we lift off this off the blockchain and say okay instead of replaying this uh, entire thing on the blockchain we just keep the uh, the chain of updates in memory and always only the latest settlement because that basically is the path that we need to take for uh, to to get to the latest settlement. So, let's say the green user wants to uh, enable this uh, this uh, um, this state here, right? So, what he needs to do is basically to um, uh, let's not use that. that that's a complex, case. Uh, he wants uh, he wants to enact this uh, this state. So, what he does is he publishes update one. Then he has to wait 24 hours to, to settle this. The blue participant sees, wait, you're trying to cheat me. Um, so what he does, he publishes update 2 and 3, and then has 24 hours to wait before he can send settlement 3. Um, so what we actually do is we allow you to try to uh, initiate a settlement using an old state, but we'll just tag on, right? We'll just Continue. Yes. So just to make sure I'm understanding correctly, he's double spending the settlement one transaction so they can't go to blockchain with that because the time lock is recovering it. So you can get update two in the first, right? Yes. And then replay update three. Yeah. Okay. So so so, so the, the the time locks are always there so that the update gets priority over the settlement. Right. Exactly. Yes.
1: Uh, what's that? This this settlement zero? Yeah, yeah. Well, the
4: uh, so so. Uh, uh, the is uh, for, for the funding transaction. Yes. Yeah. At some time. Yes. Sort of, so so sort of sort of the, the short answer is we'll just use a month or so for this time of. So we still have a limited time uh, uh, lifetime for the channel. Mm-hmm. Uh, the more advanced uh, one is that we have a trigger transaction that is placed in between here. So that we have the funding transaction that creates the shared output, we have a trigger transaction that initiates the uh, uh, the time loss, and only then we attach settlements. So think of it like the settlement zero does not exist, and update one actually initiates the countdown. So we we we, we have ways to uh, we have ways to make this in, uh, open and definite. Yes, so, so yeah, the numbers don't quite add up, but I should add the trigger transaction, which makes it easier. Nice. So the the issue here was uh, was that we basically had this uh, this problem of, uh, yeah, we, we are basically, if we have n, uh, n updates, we're replaying n transactions on chain, right? So what if we could do something like this? Instead of having the update three connect only to update two, we could actually go ahead and say, I connect it to the settlement transaction. And so we just skip all of these intermediate updates, we skip to the one that we're interested in, and then can do our settlement. And that's actually what what Sikaj no input allows us to do, which is a proposal that we're currently trying to propose, I guess. Um, But so far I've not heard too many negative voices about it. Uh, There's two complaints. One is it allows for double spending uh, for for replay attacks. But then again, we have ccash none. Um, And the other one is it doesn't go far enough. We should parameterize everything. Um, And to that, I just say, first, we need use cases before we open up more flexibility. What is a replay
1: attack for?
4: So the replay attack basically means that if you have uh, so in this case, replay is, is wanted, right? We can have uh, we can have funds. Um, so this transaction can spend both this output and this output. And if they weren't connected to uh, to to uh, among themselves, then we could basically just replay that transaction and get it multiple times. So if you uh, if you use it if if you use funds on a, on an address and you want to send them to me and you sign them with sick hash, no input. Um, then uh, I could take, and you have more than those funds lying on that address, then I could basically rebind my, the transaction that you sent to me, I could rebind it to any of your other outputs and basically grab whatever is on that address. So there needs to be uh, some, some care taken about how, how much you expose yourself to that, uh, and we usually just generate new key pairs for every, for every single one of these dots. That's a simple solution. So, seckash C- C- basically just uh, is a uh, is a little flag in the uh, in the signature that tells us what uh, what information is part of the signature and what isn't. So seckash uh, no input basically means that we are signing in the transaction that we are that that we want to authorize, uh, but we're leaving out some parts so that other people can come or. Even I can come and, and change that slightly without invalidating the signature. So that's basically this. Uh, in this transaction, there is a small reference in the form of a hash to the previous output that I'm going to spend. And instead of taking this whole transaction and just signing it, we'll just carve out this little space and sign everything around it instead. So that, keeps some flexibility in the air, in the air, allows us to rewrite it without invalidating. Uh, and uh, yeah has has some nice nice effects.
1: Yes. Let's assume that you 18 doesn't come Yes. Wouldn't you still build L2 and have this upper like I mean the updates is basically a linked list, right? Yes. So you construct them in a way that's like a script list or like a tree. Like we said before computer scientists solve everything. Yes, I mean then, then you have something like the payment channel that has a million states and you basically expect more change transactions to unless you have
4: collusion for those. That's like, I mean, it's still that. So so the alternative would be to have this tra- this transaction, and sign it like n times, attached oh, to atta- so, so that that's one thing, yeah. uh, but you can't get around to having at least one signature for each output that existed at some point in in the, in the system. So, even, even if you do a skip list, you have to have a path from every single node up to the next level in the skip list and up to the next level in the skip list. So, you're, you're not gaining that much. Uh, so, you can, you can move signatures from being having to be transferred to, OK, yeah, we, we structure it as a skip list, but you'll still have to remember n signatures in total. If remember,
1: then yes. You mean, where, where don't have to go the full path of update one, update two, update three.
4: You just have on-chain No, no, no. I, I mean, if you... Well, what you can do is basically have this update and sign it n times bound to every single one of them, and I give you this bunch of, of signatures, and then we don't have to have an on-chain footprint that is, that is any bigger than Cache, no input. But you have huge messages, yes. And the skip list is a trade-off where you have smaller messages, but... Also half a uh, half of bigger on-chain footprint.
2: Is there is there like a possibility that the person could accrue someone stated that there would be more costly for them to broadcast like get a transaction fee
3: for that than update zero? Like I can build up like a million transactions. I go broadcast update zero, the other party now has to
1: like like access footprint.
4: Oh, uh, okay. So if, if you cheat, we can make you pay the fee and not give it back to you, but uh, it's always hard to to sort of punish one party um, in the case of misbehavior because misbehavior is not observable on chain. Misbehavior is only observable by other parties that know about the state of the channel. And so we can't really build a punishment into the, into the state into the state transaction without having interaction with with the other party and I think I'm running short on time yeah Um, yes so um, I had a few more slides but as I mentioned great interactions Uh, it's basically layers all the way down Uh, we have uh, we we have discussed uh, the update mechanism uh, but there is many many more facets in there we have what we've just talked about is are these two boxes here. And the Lightning Network is a lot more than that. We have we have a transfer layer that allows us to have multi-hop and a secure end-to-end payments. Basically, either my payment arrives or it doesn't. Uh, we have the Sphinx uh, layer, which obfuscates which path we're taking through the network. Um, we have a gossip layer that basically exchanges information. How can I go from point A to point B in the network? And there's, uh, there's a whole lot of uh, transport layer encryption and feature negotiation and so on and so forth. Yeah, so I had channel factories, cool topic. Perun, we've talked about this before. It's one of the things that I'd like to backport from, uh, from the Ethereum faults because it's rather nice and that's it i'm out of time so but uh i'm i'm around the whole week so if you have any questions
1: corollary verb mm run on a compass yeah so any
3: question about time locks is the duration of artifact
4: is uh so so there is there is a few so you can express time locks both as a timestamp or as a block height, and in block height, obviously the granularity is like 10 minutes, or whatever your block interval is. Uh, and the timestamp-based ones, I have absolutely no idea why they are in there. Uh, I, I guess it's medium time past the block size, what they're referencing. But uh, I, I always use use uh, use block-based time logs. Because they're easier to reason about, and they're actually absolute numbers that are, do not have this issue of is this is now 10 p.m. or is it one second to 10 p.m. Um, and uh, so, so uh, I guess the upper bound of this is like what, what's what's the upper bound of this five million or so five million a million blocks. So. You you have you have quite some time to settle your channels. Yes.
1: So
4: L2 is actually uh, working with HGLC, right? Yes, so, so um, <laughs> what, I, what I wanted to show in this slide is basically that, uh, that uh, the L1 penalty and L2 are basically drop-in replacements. The entire rest of the stack remains the same. All we do is basically we change the way we negotiate new states. And HLCs are just part of the state that is attached to, to a settlement transaction. So it's uh, it's way less painful because you don't have a penalty. Uh, backups are possible because even if you publish an old state, well, the other guy will just give, get your newer state. You won't lose everything. Uh, the state management is uh, is much easier because well, we now have symmetric state. There is no. There is no uh, okay if I leak this information and you can try to kick me in the in the butt like that, um, and you keep far fewer state because there is no way for uh, for the replaced information to ever leak on chain. Um, whereas with LM penalty, you still have to keep all the secrets from uh, uh, removed HLCs, one, because these HLCs might actually leak on chain. This is no longer possible with L2. So it's, it's much easier from a, from a state management point of view as well. Any
1: disadvantage? Hmm? Any disadvantage?
4: Any disadvantage? Uh, I think, uh, depending on how we implement it, we might have a footprint that is slightly bigger. And we, uh, so, so one more transaction instead of having like two transactions, we have three. Uh, and in the case of sick no input not making it, We'll have a really hard time actually trying to implement it. So this is one of the cases where um, I sort of break my promise about uh, about layer two and off-chain protocols being really nice because they allow you to experiment freely. Uh, not really, because we actually need to change the base layer as well. So that's that's sad. I, I would have liked to get to to get it working without, but I haven't figured out how to yet. Cool. Thank you so much, and I'll be around. Good morning, everyone. My name is Chris, and I'm a a Bitcoiners Anonymous. Hi, Chris. Well, not, not that anonymous, actually. Uh, which might be difficult so uh, my job today is basically to tell you why lightning is Bitcoin and why it's not exactly Bitcoin Um, so there's there's a few fundamental differences between Bitcoin uh, on-chain payments and lightning I will always call Bitcoin on-chain payments just Bitcoin because it's sort of the classical way of doing it and uh, the differences between Bitcoin and Lightning are sometimes small, sometimes bigger. There's trade-offs when, when to use which. Um, and uh, some of these trade-offs are basically the reason why we use Lightning. And some of these are really, really annoying details or even big issues that you might encounter when coding a Lightning app. Um, and I will tell you what to expect, uh, when, when, uh, what might go wrong, and uh, and how to fix that, hopefully. So, let's let's begin with the good parts, the parts where Bitcoin is equal to Lightning. Uh, so, payments on Lightning are denominated in Bitcoin. This is really fundamental. You always. We are building smart contracts that are uh, based on the Bitcoin blockchain, or whatever blockchain you're using. Um, So the Bitcoins that you use are interchangeable one-to-one to to, uh, to, to on-chain Bitcoins. So there is no need for us to create a token. And you wouldn't believe how often I uh, I got into this discussion of why we don't do an ICO for Lightning coins. and this is basically the, the reason we want, to have, we want to have Bitcoins, we want to use Bitcoins, we want to enhance the utility of Bitcoins. We don't want to create a whole new thing that then has barriers to entry and barriers to exit and makes the whole thing illiquid. Uh, being Bitcoin is we help the Bitcoin uh, ecosystem. We allow people to accept Bitcoin more, uh, easier. We allow to extend the use cases for Bitcoin. So it's Bitcoin only. Uh, lightning by no means is a complete replacement for Bitcoin on-chain payments um, there is uh, there is different levels at which uh, at which on-chain payments become much much better than uh, than off-chain payments you have to be aware of the uh, of these trade-offs and uh, you should choose the right tool for a right job for example uh, the fees in Bitcoin uh, in Lightning are proportional to the m- amount you send, whereas in B- uh, Bitcoin on-chain payments, the uh, the fees that you pay are proportional to the description of the payment that you send. So, in on-chain payments, you're actually paying for each byte of the transaction that describes your payment, and not the value that is uh, that is uh, that is transferred in that transaction. Uh, in Lightning, however, since we have a liquidity network, we actually need to leverage some fees that are both uh, fixed per uh, per transfer, so that there's a base fee that we leverage. Basically, I have to do some cryptographic operations for to forward your payments, uh, so I will ask you to pay one Satoshi for each forwarded payment. Uh, and we also have uh, proportional fees, which basically mean, hey, I had to put up such and such liquidity to forward your payment. Please pay me accordingly to what I just transferred. And there's a natural cutoff point that will automatically emerge where the proportional fees are just higher than on chain fees for really large payments. But well, that's okay because for, un, uh, for really large, large payments, like you want to buy your sixth Lamborghini, um, you probably have to fill out some paperwork anyway. And it's not like you need to leave the store in the next two milliseconds, right? Um, So be aware of this trade-off. Sometimes on-chain payments might be what you're looking for, and sometimes uh, Lightning is the right decision to uh, to do. Uh, So this is about Bitcoin and Lightning being equals. Uh, Where does Lightning actually uh, beat uh, uh, on-chain payments? Uh, this is basically what we're looking for, right? These are payments that are more private in that we don't have all of our individual transactions be reflected on the blockchain forever. The blockchain can no longer be data mined because what, are, uh, what is on the blockchain are aggregates of multiple, maybe millions of individual payments. So picking out that one trace, the one coffee that I buy every day might get really hard for uh, people just looking at the blockchain. Uh, We also have, in the interactive process of forwarding payments, we don't have uh, many privacy issues because we do use the onion routing to obfuscate the origin and the final destination of of our payment. It's not perfect, but it's a lot better than just leaving a trace on the blockchain forever. Uh, It's more scalable. Uh, Well, if instead of talking to the entire world, to perform a transfer, I just talk to my peers directly and we have one-to-one communication for all of these payments. Uh, that's got to be more efficient, right? Um, and as I said, the, uh, the on-chain footprint can be, can be really tiny compared to the amount of payments that go through a channel. Now that's not always the case, there might be cases where a channel is used for one payment and then it's closed again. Uh, but we're working on, on, uh, uh, on tooling that should allow you to pick decent routes for, for all of your channels, to pick decent peers so that you get the most of the uh, most utility out of your channels. Uh, speaking of fees, we have fewer fees of course. Uh, that's great for you, I hope. Um, well that's, as I said, only true for, for a certain size of payments at some point, the market will decide on where this cutoff point is, where on-chain transactions are, more, uh, 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 are better um, on, uh, with respect to, to off-chain payments. Uh, we do have real-time payments. I mean, that's what probably most of the new use cases come down to. Um, we actually have this real-time interaction where I can go to a cashier, just tap my phone on, uh, on, on the point of sale, and uh, my phone blips once and I can leave the, the, the shop. I don't have to sit around and, and wait for, for my payments to complete. Um, it also gives the certainty to the vendor that payment actually arrived. Um, and as some of you, uh, somebody yesterday mentioned, the paper call system uh, allows you to actually have this real-time interaction even with automated systems in which you, you pay for uh, for an API call you can pay for uh, for streaming of live data um, though the payment uh, streaming payments aren't actually just uh, aren't working just yet um, one thing that Bitcoin always struggled with is a uh, a cohesive invoice format so the invoices are really flexible and i've I didn't like them initially uh, because I was like, yeah, that's too much standardization. We shouldn't, we protocol this. We shouldn't be talking about uh, what, how to expose this stuff to, to users. Um, but I've heard so many people that, that were actually really happy about, uh, about the invoicing stuff and, and the, its expressiveness and its ease of use um, that uh, we've, uh, or I've come around um, the interesting part is that if an invoice can't be paid, we actually have a, met- a method of uh, falling back on-chain. The uh, invoice co- uh, contains a number of, uh, of uh, extra data. Um, it has a description field. It can point to, uh, to external resources, like if you have a PDF uh, that is a human legible uh, um, uh, invoice. It can commit to the hash of that human uh, readable invoice Um, and like some of you heard yesterday we also have hints uh, about which channels do have enough capacity um, incoming to the to the recipient so we can actually give it give hints to which channels might be a good choice to uh, to talk to so this is all the good stuff and now comes the bad part I'll be bashing lightning quite a lot here. Um, and I think we, we need to be honest about the trade-offs that, that, that we have here. Uh, now, these are trade-offs that are not going to be fixed. And we don't know a, 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 and we don't have a good solution for. So this is what you'll actually have to deal with indefinitely. I'll also have a set which is temporary and, and we can fix. OK. so. First of all, um, how do we allocate funds? Uh, fund allocation to channels is uh, is a hard problem. We basically have to foresee the future and say hey i'll in a week's time, I will be talking to this guy and i'd like to have a channel with him open and as predictions uh, always go, they turn out to be completely bullshit. Um, so what we try to uh, what we try to do is basically encourage people to actually open channels at random to, uh, to create a uh, as cohesive as possible in, of a network. And so if, if we have a network in which everybody is well connected to everybody else, uh, we can actually route payments rather, uh, um, rather well as compared to everybody is connected to Starbucks and Starbucks is this island and to talk to Walmart I have to open new channels. So, if you can, try to create bridges between these uh, these systems. But I also think that these bridges will automatically emerge once we have uh, once we have a working fee market, uh, simply because it will be uh, will be a positive thing for people to earn some fees on the side. Uh, maybe not to not as a, as a form of income, but to offset your own use of uh, of Lightning. Uh, I don't. Think that, that routing will be a, uh, will be a good business, uh, it might pay for your own use of, of the Lightning network. So I get 10 Satoshis in, in fees and now I can spend like 10 Satoshis on routing my own payments. Speaking of routing, uh, routing can be difficult. Uh, we built uh, Lightning as private as possible and for this, we had to uh, we had to include some of the um, we had to remove some of the information that we might have wanted to, to share. Uh, as Elaine showed yesterday was uh, said yesterday, it, we don't communicate what the current balances of the endpoints are. We communicate what the total capacity of the channel is. But if there is ten dollars on, on this side, I have no idea whether I can transfer one dollar in this direction or maybe nine dollars in this direction. Uh, we just have to try and, and see if it fails. Um, if we were to, to publish that information, we could basically see, okay, there's this channel has a reduced capacity by 13 satoshis, this has a reduced capacity by 13 satoshis, and this has a reduced capacity by 13 satoshis. Guess where the payment went. Um And even if we were to communicate that information, it would be massive amounts of uh, of data, right? This this would basically be a broadcast from every channel for every path and going to every node in the network. So, uh,
1: yeah. But can't you do like a compromise? I mean, I could, for example, publish the channels where I'm willing to get inbound routing and publish the channels where Mm. Right. I don't have to set the threshold at fifty percent of the channel. Yes. Yeah. And also, I mean, I don't have to broadcast this to the entire network. I just broadcast this basically to my neighbors. Right, in the sense of like. Well, I, I mean, I mean, every
4: every potential user of your channel has to know your policy about forwarding payment, right? From yeah. uh, So basically every single node that might want to use your channel needs to be informed about the parameters of your channel. We have indirect signaling. Um, So what what we can do is we can disable individual directions of a channel. Uh, We can set fees uh, to basically infinity uh, so people don't use that channel. Uh, And uh, uh, and we can set fees to zero to basically say, hey, if you use this channel, it's free. but uh, we we still we still have this reliance on information that we don't have direct access to, and we're also relying on peers that uh, that we ourselves don't control. Uh, one ugly detail is that we actually need to be online to receive. So this is this is an interactive uh, uh, an interactive process. When receiving a payment, you need to actually acknowledge the receipt of the payment. That's a step backward from, from Bitcoin, where we could just publish an address and just go away. In this case, we have to acknowledge the receipt. Uh, and it also means that our funds are in hot wallets. So, be sure not to keep your college funds in Lightning Channels. Yeah. Don't keep your pension in Lightning Channels. You're not going to make money off of this. This is This is your... Daily change with which you're going to buy coffee and maybe the occasional grocery shopping tour. Don't put your life savings in this. Um, I've been I've been hit a few times uh, in in my in my time with Bitcoin uh, for considerable amounts. Do not keep your funds in hot wallets. Just don't. And exchanges are count as hot wallets as well, by the way. Um, the, uh, somebody mentioned it yesterday, but it's, it's worth reiterating. Uh, payments are fast if they're fast, but sometimes fast is slow. Um, so if there is a channel that is non-responsive after it has added the HTLC, so you, it basically said, hey, yeah, I'm, I'm going to forward this. He forwards this, or doesn't, and then he disappears. There's no way for us to say, hey, uh, will this resolve? Will this actually be paid? Or might this come back and we need to retry? So sometimes payment will get stuck. And these stuck payments are even slower than on-chain payments because they have timeouts attached. So whenever this happens, try to to make it such that uh, you try to make a refund. So somebody sent you a payment. He's saying, hey, uh, I don't know if that, if that worked or not. Uh, what you can do is basically you can, uh, you can send them a payment back for the same payment hash such that if the payment succeeded, they can get the payment back. If the payment did not succeed, they, can, uh, they, can get, uh, they cannot get the payment back. It's still going to be slow, and funds will, uh, will be locked up. But it allows you to have a retry immediately without having this. Now, we don't support refunds uh, automatically just yet. Or I don't think any of the clients actually has has the facilities to do so. But uh, it is always nice to say, hey, you had trouble paying me. Uh, If this payment goes through, I will refund you, no no problem. Uh, Just try a different route. Uh, that way, it's complicated, it's nasty, but you can actually get, go around the, the, the slow payments. If you don't do that, you may wait, uh, you may have locked up the user's funds for weeks, which is going to happen anyway. Uh, but you'll also not have the ability to have him retry stuff. Yeah?
1: What you said, it's like and you use the same game hash. Yeah. Isn't that like insecure in the sense that I like, want to pay you on a certain route using a payment hash, and you make it in with the same payment hash. There's a vote in between that, like,
4: kind of. Yeah, yeah, part. yeah. I mean, so so if, if the return path is not disjoint, then that's a, indeed a problem. Um, but uh, that's that's going to be solved with Schnorr, hopefully. Um, so we we have payment decorrelation uh, stuff in the works that, that will allow us to give these refunds. It's also not implemented to do these refunds currently because, well, we need we need some additional tech for it. Um, so currently, you have to wait. Uh, but once once we have implemented them, do refunds.
1: Yeah. Uh, it having the invoice with expiration, has it
4: installed that? Like no, no, no. So so the invoice is uh, is only on. Uh, so the expiry is only. On the sort of human side of things Um, the expiry is not expressed in uh, in the uh, in the off-chain contracts at all it basically is just hey I expect you to pay to initiate payment in half an hour Uh, that might go through or it might not go through but clients will refuse to to initiate payment if this uh, if this uh, expiry already has expired um, but it still me, uh, it still means that that payments might get stuck. So the, expir- uh, the expiry time is uh, is nice to communicate to, to user. Hey, I expect you to initiate payment in this time. It might not finish, but uh, that's uh, yeah. The, these these stuck payments are nasty and, and really hard to to work around. And. Finally, one, one thing that a lot of people have run into when, yeah, uh, when, uh, when people have uh, tested stuff uh, is basically they open a channel, try to send the entire capacity over. Like I open for 1,000 Satoshis, and I want to push 1,000 Satoshis over. That does not work. Uh, the reason is we have reserve value that we don't allow people to go below. Because the penalty mechanism in Lightning actually requires you to have a stake in the outcome of the the channel. And if I don't have any money in the channel, well, I can just try for free. And if I'm the recipient of the channel, I don't even have to pay fees for them, which is different from from L2, where the initiator of of, of a closure has to to pay the fees. so if you try, if you open a channel for 1,000 satoshis and try to push uh, so to send over 1,000 satoshis, that is going to fail um, because well, 10 satoshis will need to stay on the on the uh, on the sender side. Uh, the same is true for refunds. Uh, it's been really fun for the Blockstream uh, sticker store to uh, to try to do refunds when people when the only payment people did was basically pay them. So I have uh, I have one thousand uh, satoshis on my channel. I use one hundred of them to pay uh, to pay the Lightning Store. It doesn't work. I want my money back, uh, but I can only push ninety satoshis back because Blockstream is now forced to, or the receiving side is now forced to keep above one percent of the channel capacity. Try to explain that to users. Uh, it's a really nasty detail that has hurt uh, has quite a lot of people uh, before, and it's, it's kind of hard to work around this. Okay. So, yeah.
1: Uh, another question with uh, that context. Don't pigments uh, have to have like, uh, an inherent mind yes yeah
4: so uh, so the fees in in the uh, in the settlement transactions for uh, for lightning channels are always paid by the funder currently because it's easy we're sure that they have funds in the channel uh, if if they if they have spent it all they still have the reserve to pay fees um, and we make sure that these fees stay above a level at which both sides of the channel are comfortable with. Um, uh, Comfortable with meaning that uh, I'm sure that I could confirm this transaction in a matter of two hours to maybe a day. Um, If that's not the case, we will close the channel just to sort of bail out in time for the transaction fees to be high enough. And that's currently the reason why we close like 90% of our channels is because one guy says, hey, my fee estimate is like 1,000 Satoshis per byte. And the other one says, you're crazy. It's like 10,000. So if we disagree on fees, uh, we might actually bail out if even if not needed. We're working on smoothing those, those fee estimates just to be sure that... Uh, that uh, that we don't see one, uh, we don't have one guy seeing a block and the other one not seeing a block, and I see this block and make my estimate based on that, and you just have this huge mempool that you don't know when it's going to be cleared. So, uh, fee smoothing has solved that problem mostly. Uh, in future iterations, we will have we will have fee estimation at the time we spend and paid by the by the ones that close the channel. Yeah. Um, yes. So um, I'm trying to to uh, to remove the uh, remove the penalty altogether uh, because we now have a much more lightweight way of punishing people. Namely, they have to pay the fee the on-chain fees for their attempt to close. And if we're clever about uh, about which transaction we double spend in uh, or we to, to which transaction we attach our own update transaction. We can actually still make you pay fees, despite you not getting your uh, getting your desired outcome. It's much uh, much lower, um, much lower penalty. But I don't think that the majority of people will actually try to cheat. People always concentrate on on cheaters. Uh, but in my uh, 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 in my experience, most of the uh, of the cheat attempts are actually people that that sort of uh, just did something wrong and. With no, with no bad intention. So I think that, that paying a fee as a penalty is much, much nicer but still gets, gets, the, gets the end result of, yeah, you don't try that. Um, so just to illustrate why routing is hard, uh, if we have two nodes and there's no connection between them, uh, you're not going to send stuff. Uh, I think that's obvious but I've had so many people Connecting two nodes and not funding a channel, and then saying, "Hey, this doesn't work; it's broken." The same goes for if you have a if you have a channel, and the capacity is all on one side. You're not going to send uh, going to send from right to left, because the right node does not have any balance in this channel. Uh, and this uh, more uh, more interestingly is the forwarding case in which you have like nodes, uh, and you could send five from the left one to the middle one but only one to the to the right one so your maximum amount that you can send from from here to here is one bitcoin minus uh, minus reserve value so you actually have this bottleneck issue in, uh, in, uh, in lightning uh, and so try to try to make the payment size of your systems sort of match the amounts uh, of, of, of common channels in the network. Currently, everybody is, uh, everybody is opening channels that have like 20 cents. Uh, I spent like four hours debugging channels, which did not return any funds. And, it, uh, and then I finally took a look at what the, uh, what the channel amount was, and it was 19 cents,
1: <laughs> uh,
4: at which point it was clear, hey, everything went to fees, sorry. Okay, finally, uh, yeah, three minutes. Uh, the ugly but temporary. This is basically a slide that I stole from one of our internal presentations. Uh, it's what's coming up in uh, in November uh, during the spec meeting, and we have um, on the left side we have some really nice uh, nice improvements. We have splice in and splice out, which allows you to add and remove payments. Um, And we have multipath routing, which basically means that uh, if I have a channel of five and I have a channel of four, I can actually bundle the capacity of these channels if later the paths merge again. And I can actually use the entirety of my funds. What this allows you to do is basically have a, uh, a wallet that is really nice because it shows you one balance, and it shows you what happened to that balance over time. No indication of channels. No need to actually take any decision about how to allocate funds because, well, you can just bundle them. Um, no need to differentiate between on chain and off chain because you can do on chain uh, uh, payments via splice out. So I can have a channel temporarily close that, splice out some funds, and reopen the channel without interruption. And what might be interesting for you is we can have spontaneous and stream payments. So those are payments that are not bound to an invoice that means that I can pay per second for for all the stuff that uh, for for my bandwidth but it also means that I can do donations uh, which Rene has a cool video about how to do it anyway currently but they won't get notified currently that they got a payment uh, we have payment decorrelation which uh, basically hides the uh, the connection between individual hops of uh, of the payments so if you are twice in a route, you won't be able to say, hey, this belongs to the same payment. Dual funded channels is a big one. Uh, When you you want to receive uh, payments, it's always hard currently because, well, you're, uh, and and you open the channel, you're the only one that has balance, so you have to uh, to push out some funds before you're able to receive. Having both parties add uh, add funds to the channel solves that sort of. If you can convince the other guy to commit funds to your channel. Fee hooks. We will do away with the uh, with the fee changes and the fee rate estimates, such that we can actually have the uh, uh, that that we can actually push the fee uh, fee rate estimation to the point where we need it, and hopefully avoid having clo- uh, channels close over them. Watchtower protocol. I guess most of you have heard this. We can outsource the punishment of a misbehaving node to some third party. Um, we're still unclear on how to reward them for their services, but if it's your peers that are watching your other peers, that might be a bit of a tit for tat, just, uh, uh, just, just to keep yourself secure. And what I'm looking forward is that we, uh, that we might want to forward Bitcoin information on the Lightning Network such that you yourself get, uh, get notified whenever a channel is open, whenever a channel is closed, And also get the associated information, such as the Merkle proof, uh, uh, that uh, that shows you, hey, this actually happened on chain. Or uh, look, there's this channel closing. Maybe you don't want to use that in future. And uh, instead of having to use Bitcoin D as a as your only source of truth to the Bitcoin network, you can actually have this push mechanism that allows that.
1: Yep. enable
4: payments without right? do not solve the problem of needing to have be funds being locked Yes, 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 yes. Um, yeah, it, it basically is just a way uh, to for you to advertise your node on your website and get donations. Basically, that's that's a use case. You're not getting you're not getting a receipt in that case. Uh, whereas stream payments w- would allow you to issue an invoice once say, hey, uh, I'd like to have a payment every five seconds from you for such and such an amount, and I will give you a receipt for every single one of them. So you can actually prove that you pay. Yep. It,
1: it
4: yeah. Yeah, basically have a repeatable invoice. Yeah. And it
1: does not have additional something. invoice. Like
4: uh, it, it will have additional fields in the invoice. Fees. Uh, fees. Uh, well, you pay per, uh, you pay per uh, transfer. So you basically have the base fee, which is leveraged each time, but that should be minute anyway. Yeah.
1: Um, two, two questions on this. First of all, about uh, like autopilot features, because I mean they would help shape the topology of the network. Yes. So. Would the, would the autopilots like talk to each other to some degree.
4: Well, you you are you are the expert on on autopilots. <laughs> uh, and uh, it's, it's, definitely, uh, it's definitely something that, that, we, that we want to look into. Uh, I'm a bit skeptic about having autopilots communicate because as soon as they communicate, you sort of trust what they're saying. Uh, otherwise, you could do away with, with, with them, with the communication altogether. Um, so I'd like to explore, first of all, having, uh, having autopilots that are based on local information only or verifiable information only and only then extend that to, to, to have them communicate among.
1: Second question. Um, are you aware of the talk that Stefan uh, basically gave in the Unicrate? explained how a device can receive lightning payments by being offline, by basically entangling the device with the lightning node in a way that previous are generated in a deterministic way.
4: So, so payments are uh, are fundamentally always going to create a commitment transaction. That needs to be signed.
1: So, 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 so the idea is to you have the lightning node somewhere, but you have like endpoints, like vending machines, that accept the lightning payment, that don't need to be online. They don't have the funds. Right? Oh yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. In image in a deterministic way, in the same way that the lightning node does. Yes. Yes. Payment. Yes. So, so I think that's a really, really useful use case, and it would be great. So and it provides an
4: API for people to prove it. It sort of is because, well, the, uh, the invoices that we give out are basically uh, are signed by us and are a promise to deliver something in exchange for a payment. And the receipt that we get in combination with the, with the invoice can be used to prove to somebody, hey, we paid. So your vending machine might not be the device that you're receiving the payment, but you can still prove to it, hey, uh, this is by your owner. uh, that he promised you'd give me this and here's the proof that I paid, so.
1: But but the question I'm asking is like, I mean, I know it already works, I mean, Stefan also demonstrated this, but the question I'm asking is like, do you provide, plan to provide an API basically for people to set up their like, 10,000 Coca-Cola vending machines because then of course you need to have like, like you need to have a mechanism for attending them with your lightning. I think this would be really useful.
4: Oh yeah, um, I mean uh, we, we can we can definitely do that, uh, uh, but it would need to be described in a way that we can actually put it down in a spec. Thanks. <laughs>